welcome to Bury Our Bones With, the show that lives, breathes and dies, the movies and TV shows you love. We are your hosts, me, Jimmy Murphy, and with me as always, the dark knight to my dimly lit, Mr. Ryan Etherington. In today's show, we'll be burying our bones with the 1988 Tim Burton fairy tale as a haunted house movie, Beetlejuice. So join us as we peel off our rubberized batsuit, borrow Jack Nicholson's face paint, only to find out we're not home alone at all as we hang out with some stranger things. Book your tickets now to see Michael Caine's Tangerine Tambourine. Critics are calling it a show like no other. Playing the hit singles from the number four smash album, The Real Slim Caney. Such hits as Not A Lot Of People Know That, and Hi, My Name Is, and Sweet Fifteen. Michael Caine's Tangerine Tambourine. Book now. So, talk to me as to why Beetlejuice was the pick of the month there. What was the thinking behind it? <laughs> well, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> well, originally we were going to do it for Halloween and then we moved it. Um, <laughs> it really caught me off guard. Um, we got to kick off somewhere. <laughs> Should I cut? Should I? I'll come in with a little bit of a spiel. Um, cool. So there we have it. Beetlejuice, nineteen eighty-eight. Tim Burton. I have to say, my first time viewing the film for the podcast. Never seen it before. Always on the list, but never quite got round to it. So thank you for allowing me to achieve that goal that I probably never would have otherwise. Are you glad you did? <laughs> or is it one of those goals that could have been left alone? I'm glad I did because now I know what what it what it was that I was missing. Uh, mm. I wouldn't say it's particularly something that I'm. I wish I'd seen sooner. I think mm. again, there's I think there's a lot of uh, positive points in here. I think it is very Tim Burtony, which sounds like a stupid thing to say, but if you're not a fan of Tim Burton. It's, there's going to be a lot, lot you're going to have trouble with watching here. Yeah. But how about you? Obviously, it's a, it's it a weird one for me because obviously we're doing we're going to do this podcast, and it just came, it came up. I was like, oh, let's do Beetlejuice. Um, it's not a film I spend a great deal of time thinking about. Obviously, it's like a it's a it's a cult movie. I think it's a it's everyone knows the references and the touchstones of it. And I was trying to think. I was trying to remember when I first came across Beetlejuice because it was it's I would have been eight nine something like that when it came out and I remember it I remember it just I remember everyone going on about it I was probably too young for it when it came out I've got a feeling I came to it after Batman but I think I was aware of it so it's really hard for me to put it into any real context like oh I've always loved this movie this movie I remember the first I don't remember the first time I saw it it's just always without and I got a feeling it was like I was the right age for Batman which is like a year later I, like I'm assuming they had made Batman when this was released because there's only a year between the two um, so I, I got a feeling it was like oh I, I'm the right age for the Batman movies I love that oh Tim Tim Burton, the director, and Batman himself made this other film. I'm going to watch that. 
and it's got it's got like a lot of Tim Burton's films that it's they're kind of childish they're fairy tales really they're like magical and they're you know so that, and it has all that but it's also like very adult as well and there's there's stuff in there that could be described as problematic quite frankly you know what I mean it, um, it sits in that sweet spot of being old enough to feel like you're watching something you shouldn't but not so old you're going to be horrifically scarred for life that's after that's a really watching good point it. yeah you yeah. know I think that Tim Burton's really good at kind of dancing on that line of mm. it being oh this is a bit naughty if you're watching it and you're not of the age you should yeah. be but it's not going to you know it's not going to live with you and you're going to be like I can never watch that film again it scarred me yeah well, it's interesting you say that because as I was watching it I was like oh it's it's got a lot more sort of adult content in it than I remember like I say, some of it's quite problematic. Um, and then I was like, they made a kid's cartoon out of this. There was, like, I can't remember how long it ran for. I remember there being a kid's cartoon, which is an odd thing. As I was watching it, I was very aware of it. And I was thinking, well, obviously, like you're saying, there, there was that sort of weird crossover age where young kids would have been watching it. It's like, say, it's a little bit too adult for them, but it's not so horrific. It's going to scar you for life. But some exec somewhere went, we should make a, a child, a kid's cartoon out of this. There's some money in that or whatever, you know, the usual motivations are. Um, and I kept, that kept popping up in my head. Whenever there was like swearing or adult content in it, I was like, I don't know if that would happen now. I don't think you would get away with, I don't know what, what the rating was when the f movie came out. I'm assuming it's a 15 in 88. I don't know if 12 yeah, existed. Right. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's there's heavy themes throughout this film. Suicide um, looms quite large throughout the movie. And obviously there's lots of death. The whole film's about death. and, um, and that, that, I mean, the, the subtext is all about the, the preservation of innocence, really. You know what I mean? But I was like, I don't think if you took a movie with these themes now and went, we're going to make a kid's cartoon based off of it, I don't think it could happen. Um, which then like occupied quite a lot of my mind while I was trying to watch it. It's like, how how does that decision get made? And it, it's interesting to me that that now wouldn't happen, you know? Um, the movie, it's... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that the, <coughs> the the feel of the film is a, is what I think appeals to the younger audience. It's the vibe you get when you're watching it. It's very... That, it's like a cartoon, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that it's, kind of... Yeah. That naivety you, that, mm. that comes when, when you're young as opposed to subject matter. I think mm. if you lean a bit further onto the subject matter as opposed to the vibe and the feeling, suddenly it's a very dark film and it's a very, mm. you know, not suitable for children type film. Mm. But yeah, I mean, as I, mean, I say, this has kind of danced that line. Yeah, and it's that, it is that, it's it's like a cartoon. It's like a Warner Brothers cartoon almost. It's it's the, it, the colours, the vibrancy, the... All of that sort of thing um, with dark subject. It's that, like you say, it's that atypical Tim Burton movie. Like you watch this, you know it's Tim Burton. You've got the Danny Elfman score, which bizarrely, the moment it started, I went, oh, that's, that's Danny Elfman, obviously, right? Yeah, he's so entwined with Tim Burton. It's and then difficult you to, yeah. to differentiate the two. Like I literally went, well, he did Batman. And then I started thinking, no, he does all of Tim Burton's movies. Oh, he did The Simpsons. You know, it's that, oh, all of a sudden, I never really think about Danny Elfman as a composer, but he's 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 as much part of my childhood as John Williams is. You know what I mean? It's that oh, I don't think about him. I don't think about him that often. 
but he, that's that's his score. There it is. All of a sudden, you have that very visceral childhood reaction to the music, and it's that light sort of like, ah, oh, we're in for a fun time kind of movie. His, it's childhood popcorn to me. You know, we, I think also with that kind of slightly off kilter, slightly eerie, slightly creepy kind of feel to it, which again leaning into that becomes something very different, but. Again, dances that line between this is fun, this is upbeat, but there's a something not quite right with it. It's, it's kind of like a little bit off. Dark circus music with played by an orchestra in it. It's that. Da, 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 da. It's all up tempo. Yeah, but like you say, off kilter. The more that... the more you look at it, the freakier it gets. Whereas yeah. you just hear it and you go, "Ah, oh, that's quite a thing," and then you kind of think, "Hang on a minute, yeah, hang on." And it has then... a touch of, of mystery and the unknown yeah. about it. And I think right. I think it's, that's... The, it's the Dutch lilt. Of music, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think Danny Elfman is kind of a master at that, playing on that kind of, again, mirroring what kind of Tim Burton does on screen. He's very good at doing that for, Mm. you know, for the auditory. But it's it's like you're saying this is like a, this is the atypical Burton movie. To me, it's, it's the best of Tim Burton. It's almost like he hasn't honed it or done it to death at this point. It's still fresh it's still no i think before this he'd done peewee something else that i can't remember so it's it's very early in his career and it has all of those elements that he does it thankfully there's no singing in it i have issues with musicals i can't help it they drive me mad i think we may have discussed this on this one cast before i can't stand it when people sing exposition it drives me mental it, i don't know what it is it just really gets under my nerves yeah so then how do you feel about obviously beetlejuice being turned into a musical i won't be watching it <laughs> it's funny because I, obviously i come from a very different kind of background where i i'm not a, i wouldn't say i'm a fan of musicals but i like a musical when it's done properly mm. and the, the one thing that i thought throughout watching this was that was yeah, I can see why this is made into a musical. Oh, it makes sense, it's, definitely. It's got yeah. everything you kind of need for a musical. Don't get me wrong, there's a song that, uh, I can't remember, I think it's called Guide to the Other Side, which is sung by Beetlejuice. And so after watching this film, I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because he's not the person giving you the guide <laughs> to the other world. But that's just my own. Uh, so, have you have you seen the musical? I or haven't. Is it, it's, I haven't. Does it exist now, or is it coming out? Do you know? It, yeah, it's, it's been on Broadway for a couple of years. Uh, I think I think it's been in London. I don't know if it's on in London at the moment, mm. but it, it, it's definitely mm. a you know a successful thing. It definitely makes sense. It would definitely. I can see it lending itself to a musical. <laughs> really, like it's perfect for it. Um, but I just—it's me and musicals. I like films like the sort of musicals I can tolerate. The sort of musicals, like I say, where they don't sing exposition. So, like the Blues Brothers—that's a musical, right? I like that film. I think it's good. I actually got soft spot for Grease. I think it's a good movie. I don't think they sing exposition in that. They—they—they'll tell stories no, and they'll they, go back. Yeah, like that's good. Rocky Horror Picture Show is a good musical. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I um, think obviously Grease. Then there's some you say about problematic. There's some problematic <laughs> oh, things in Grease. There very much so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Carter is in there. <laughs> it's frightening. I, I keep thinking about you seen the the Family Guy episode where they they're like, "Hang on, what?" You know, Knicky <laughs> singing. What? You it's know. quite funny. My wife was in a production of Grease. She was. Uh, I came and three, saw it four yeah. years ago. Yeah, and 
that was the first time that I'd properly like heard the lyrics because she was like, yeah, we're not going to be doing this first. And I was like, oh, why is that? Then I looked at the lyrics and was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. That's not appropriate for an audience. No, it is, yeah. I remember, so I remember your wife's, wife's <laughs> performance of Grease. Um, yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. I think I had literally, I think we got back from uh, the theatre and watched the movie afterwards. Me and, me and my wife. Um yeah. In case anyone's wondering that Ryan's getting over, uh, is it cold cough? Uh, you're, yeah, I th- have, you may uh, hear some coughing. Yes, yeah. uh, it is. You may have also noticed that my voice has dropped several octaves I've in the past. I've got a more actor, uh, <laughs> so it's not just me going through puberty. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, one of the things I, I found a lot with watching this was how much it lends itself to other mediums. Like it's one of the like I've. One of the comments I made was the world it builds is more interesting than the film itself. That's fast. I literally one of my notes was he builds a world. Like and it's 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 all there and it's instant from the get go. Yeah. And I think that's partly not necessarily why I had trouble with this, because it's a fairly enjoyable film. Uh it's not too offensive or anything like that. Uh because there's been, you know, as you say, there's a cartoon, there's a musical, everybody dresses up as Beetlejuice at a Halloween party. It's kind of ingrained in pop culture that I feel like there's more to it than there actually is. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you look at what everything has kind of developed from, it's like, there's actually not much here. It's there's, it's very little. It's, I mean, Beetlejuice himself is barely in this movie when you really break it down. I mean, the movies are lovely... 120 running order it couldn't be any longer it's it's short get in get out sweet spot movies i mean as you know i like movies around an hour and a half hour 45 we were talking about this earlier um but he's michael keaton's barely in it what i find really interesting is like the movie starts like it goes off like a rocket within the first 10 minutes they're dead no, they've died. They know they're dead. You've had a first sort of rough glimpse of Beetlejuice. You've seen the sandworms. You know they can't leave the house. Three minutes later, the family have moved in. So at 13 minutes, it's set. The movie's rolling, you know. And I found that fascinating. You know? I, I, I think it's very difficult to kind of be in a position where actually that works. I think it does work here. Mm. I think, you know, trying to imagine it, with a modern guise and with a, from a modern viewpoint, thinking, well, this would definitely be about half an hour of setup mm-hmm. and oh, character development. Here's of this, the, here's of this the wonderful young couple who are really nice and mm. sweet. Oh, now they've died. Now let's look have at this 20. quaint town that they live in. Like, yeah, yeah it's all. Whereas actually, as, as you say, it's like you blink and you miss it, and the film started. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much like if you were if you're in the cinema getting a coke. You'd have missed. Oh, what's gone on? You've missed the whole kind of setup yeah. in five minutes, if that. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Which, yeah, it's like it's like the, there's a really interesting bit. So, like they set up the town. Ta- like you say, he builds his world real quick. Set it up. They go out. They leave the house. They spoilers. <laughs> they die. Why well, really is is one of those those choices that people are talking of Dutch lilts is the moment. The car crashes. They don't know they're dead at this point, but the car goes off the bridge. The very next shot is on a Dutch tilt. Something's now changed. Here's here's some peculiar, and then it just keeps her fingers catch fire. The whole and it and they come they come round to the notion they're dead. 
incredibly quickly as well. And like, <laughs> they're also incredibly incredibly accepting of it. Very calm. The, there's no kind of, <laughs> yeah. what, I'm dead? Yeah. Let's have 15 minutes of me dealing with that. Yeah. No, it's, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and I think it, it depends kind of, if you just kind of sit there and you just let it, let the film wash over you as opposed to looking for anything more it's always a bit difficult when you're watching it mm. with the mindset of we're doing a podcast on it but if you just let it abs let absorb it as opposed to critiquing or looking too much into it it works so much better but yeah. as soon as you want to look for a little bit of reasoning or a little bit of logic to anything it's very difficult to find so you've got to really kind of mm. allow it to just yeah, I think it works. Seeing as opposed to yeah. challenge it. Oh, definitely. I think it works for this movie. I don't <laughs> think that. Um, I don't think it would necessarily benefit from more in-depth character exploration. You know, it's like we all want to get to the interesting. Well, Tim Burton clearly wants to get to the weird stuff. We all know Tim Burton, but as an audience, we all want to get to the weird stuff. And it, it again, it is that it's set up like a cartoon. You, know, you don't get deep character exploration, uh, exploration in cartoons particularly. You know, obviously, there are different types of anime. Um, and I think it really works. I think it just it just goes off like a rocket. There's not there's no fat there. It just, just keeps moving forward. Like, there's a scene where, um, obviously, his name's spelt Beetle Guys, and they keep calling him Beetle Guys. And then when they finally decide to call him by saying his name three times, they say Beetlejuice. Unless I blinked and missed it, no one explained to them how his name was pronounced. They just changed the way they yeah, pronounced it's, it. Yeah, it's just the point where they're playing, is it Beetle, Beetle Guys? Beetle Geese? Beetle, yeah. And then they stumble upon it. I think... <clears throat> it's, do that. I thought it, it was separated Very, very out. quick. I yeah. think there's like, it goes mm. Beetle Guys, and then there's one other way of saying it, and then it, Beetlejuice, as if like... Is that right? Light yeah, bulb yeah. sort of moment. Right, yeah. But the, um, the opening scene, just the, the very... It's interesting how you remember things wrong. See that opening scene where it's going over the, the town. I remember that as being the model. It's all the model. It goes and that model. And I'm watching it going, this model's incredibly detailed. Wow. And I'm watching it. And then there's a point where it clearly cuts to the model. And I'm like, right. Yeah. It's quite, I tell you what, it's quite funny. I had the opposite of that. Right. not And not quite realising where the film was going. Mm. So I literally... Literally, I'm watching it, and it's the opening shots, and it's clearly a real place. Yeah. Then it has that bit, and I'm going, that is so bad. You can so clearly see that's a model, <laughs> thinking they've just done it to save, a, save, save a, some and, cash. And then, literally, yeah. I made a note, really bad model <laughs> replacement. And then it was like, oh, the I model's see. part of yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that. I'll delete that last little bit there. That's brilliant. But I, I think that brings us quite nicely onto the plot. Mm. So for those who haven't seen, or for those who haven't have forgotten what this film is about. So Adam and Barbara are a normal couple who happen to be dead. They have given their precious time to decorate their house and make it their own. But unfortunately, a family is moving in, and not quietly. Adam and Barbara try to scare them out, but end up becoming the main attraction to the money-making family. They call upon Beetlejuice to help, but Beetlejuice has more in mind than just helping. Ooh. Very spooky <laughs> sounding. We've left you with a question. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I mean that sums it up. It's the idea is uh, you know, it's it's weird, it's quirky, it's Tim Burton, you know. Um 
and it Beetlejuice's uh, disruptor. He's he's going to cause some chaos as they try to get this family out of their house by haunting them. Um, like you say, the world itself set up really well. It's really good. Like the whole book of the uh, it's not book of the devil. They call it the guide to the afterlife or the guide for the recently deceased. I think yeah, it's called, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And then you, you, it's all very admin based when they cross over to the. It's just like sitting in a waiting room. It's a really nice touch. Um, you know, and all the different ways people have died in there, played for comedy, and then they see their caseworker, and it's all very mundane, you know. Like, the the message they're driving, like, which I, I keep sort of coming back to, like, like, there's death, obviously, reigns supreme throughout this movie, and suicide comes up a lot in this movie. And I was, I was watching it yesterday, like, with that sort of critiquing eye rather than just watching it. Um, I couldn't help but wonder if, like, the message he's driving at here is, like, it's it's quite an anti-suicide movie where it's, like, kill it, like death in general is not going to solve your problems. The afterlife is mundane. It's more of the same. And it's, like, it, and it feels like that theme just sort of prods along in the background underneath. Like, the main theme of the film, I think, is probably that protection of childhood innocence like um there's obviously loss of parents in there like i get the impression that um winona Ryder's character is depressed because her mum's dead that's why she's has those sorts that suicidal idolation um all of that's going that that would be i think the overarching theme obviously it's that sort of hold on to that your childhood innocence like specifically when you get to the end of the film and it's all resolved and, and she's more accepted. She doesn't go less... She goes, a, like, 10% less goth. It's like a merging of the two families, in it? Where it's like... She's still kind of goth, but she's got some plaid on, which represents, like, Barbara and... I want to say Tom, is that his name? Well, I forget now. Um, and it's like... but And she's she's done well in her exams. And it's like, accept childhood, enjoy it, keep hold of that rather than rushing to cynical adultness, you know what I mean? That Those sort of adult traits of cynicism and misery. Keep hold of your joy as you grow and and just and don't try to rush into it. Like, I would say that was the main theme. And then underneath that, it has that sort of, like, death is, is no answer to anything, you know? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting there. <clears throat> the kind of main thing I kind of get from it is that, you know, it's trying to answer that question, what happens when we die? Mm. And the answer is far more boring than any of us could imagine. <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah. kind of... I, yeah. I, I find that more interesting in some ways than when there's this whole elaborate thing and mm. actually it's just like day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Go and stand in line. Here, here's your ticket. Mm. You know, it's there's a, there's a, you know, a mundaneness to it that's mm. actually quite endearing yeah and actually you know i think with uh winona Ryder's character as you say she becomes about 10 percent more goth uh, less goth mm. but there's a subtly i don't know how much would have been her or tim burton directing there's so it's, it's kind of almost a way she kind of carries herself as well that kind of mm. points you in that kind of direction of you know the, yeah the you know, joy slightly yeah. more accepting of of the world in, in which she, she's a part of she rejoins the world towards the end. If you think about well, like, the only time you see she she views the world through her camera at the beginning. My entire life is a dark room, and then you never really you never see her leave the house other than when she's in the front garden at the beginning. She's very um, isolated from the world. At one point, she's like, I have no one, I have nothing, and all of that sort of stuff. 
and then at the end of the film she's getting off a school bus she's rejoined society and she has the the parental unit she needs and obviously you have um the main characters uh at the beginning don't don't have a child and by the end they have a child it's, it's that real meshing everyone gets what they need it's that proper fairy tale sort of thing like his his like the innocence, the the child. Here's the the sort of demon who lives in the wood, and here's the resolution. And it's like, what's interesting is like, she gains two parents, but doesn't lose her other two parents. They just become one homogenous family on different levels. And like the mother's artwork, successful. So there's a thing on the back, just like a little hint that she's on some magazine for being a good artist. And the dad seems happier, and she's happier. And the, the what what are the what are they called Barbara and Tom I keep saying Adam, Barbara and Tom Adam that, and Barbara yeah Barbara and Tom I think is ever decreasing circles or the good life or something yeah. Adam and Barbara yeah, yeah you're thinking of the uh, Beetlejuice uh, episode of the Good Life the crossover yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah and it's all everything's tied up and, and resolved by the end and it's that fairy tale happy ending. yeah it's kind of tied up with a nice neat little bow mm. the way that kind of fairy tales do where yeah. you know. In, in the real world, how many families where there's, you know, two loving people and two not-so-loving people, oh, let's just become, yeah, mm. we just share this lovely child. It, the more you think about it, the less realistic it is, but yeah. it's just kind of wrapped up and neatly kind of presented to you as the happy ending yeah. that most fairy tales kind of present. Yeah. But it's interesting you were saying about, uh, we're, we're just talking about how, like, the um, what is the afterlife like I and as far as I'm aware, that's the first time I'd ever seen it depicted as so monotonous. I mean, obviously there's that whole um we clothing from the play, you know, hell is uh other people, John Paul Sartre. And I I believe that play is like four or five people sat in a waiting room of waiting to go on to the afterlife and it and as the play plans out, it turns out this is the afterlife. You're stuck with other people. It's horrible. I think that's the the point of the play. I don't quote me on it. But as far as like visual depictions in Hollywood and that, I think that like that's quite a refreshing way of looking at it. It's not like all clouds. It's not all demons. It's, it's just uh, like bureaucracy and, and normal day to day stuff. And that's quite an interesting concept to throw in, and possibly part of the thing that makes it so refreshing when you're watching. Like that's clever, you know. So it's, it's almost like a visual representation of that kind of gallows humour, mm. where we're laughing at things that aren't necessarily funny mm. and we're you're looking at things with a kind of, you know, a, a, a naive, again, a naivety where you're going, it's quite kooky that they're all in a waiting room. They get given a ticket. Have you read through your manual? Yeah. You know, that kind of, oh, God, here we go. We've got some new, two newbies here. Don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, that kind of approach to it. And I, I think that's what carries... A lot of the film, mm. I think, with without that, I think it then becomes, to be fair, a lot like Tim Burton's kind of later work where it isn't a whole lot of fun or lightness to it. One of the things I mentioned, or sorry, that I've not made note of when watching this is it's surprisingly colourful for a Tim Burton film. And I say that because a lot of the Tim Burton film films that I've seen are in that kind of late 90s, early 2000s period where Sleepy Hollow and mm. uh, what's the other one? Edward. It's completely black and white. Edward. Well, it, it's very <laughs> yeah, devoid yeah, yeah. of colour. It's very dark. It's yeah. very Sweeney Todd. 
yeah. it's not even when there is colour. I haven't seen Alice in Wonderland. I assume that's quite colourful, though. Quite colourful, but that, that's, yeah. that's a good... good but that's a lot later. For me, when yeah. I think of Tim Burton, I think of those kind of... Even Batman to an element is quite dark. Second one. Second one's quite colourful, but I take your point. It is quite dark. the content is quite dark. Of the yeah, second and Batman I think movie, I think yeah. as you say, you know, it's Tim Burton before he got too far, too Tim far, and, too, and, too, <laughs> and you know, same yeah. old tropes and same old tricks weren't boring. Mm. I think that's kind of a good, you know, a good barometer, and that there's a there's a lightness to it that kind of mm. means that you do you you can sit through the whole thing without going. Oh, it's a bit depressing. This. Yeah, you know, because once you do that, you've then got to have a really good like, script and a really good story. Which I don't think the script is particularly great. I, I don't think. Know. I mean, I think <laughs> I, the concept itself is so good. I think the script's okay. I think the script script's good. I think. I think the thing is because it's an hour and twenty, it it's quick. It flies through. I'm of the mind. I, I'm, I'm of the mind that I, th I think that works. I don't think it would work the same way any other way, but I could be wrong. But I think it needs to just be quick. It needs to just fly through. Like you say, the subject. if you had to go into depth on the subject matter, it would probably start, like you say, it's a different movie. You you're going to have to work harder to pull things back. You'd be moving back and forth. Like, there is a lot of really pretty good just throwaway one-liners throughout this movie. They just throw them in, throw them out, throw them in, throw them out. And that just keeps it, like, bouncing along quite lightly. Um... I think the script's pretty good. I, the concept's amazing. Maybe it's maybe the film's carried on the concept rather than the script, as that might be, and its visuals more yeah, so yeah. than anything anything that really happens in it, dialogue or character development wise. Because there isn't there isn't really any of that. There is isn't there? really character development other than you see them at the beginning and you see them at the end, and they're different. <laughs> That's the you know you see um, Adam and Barbara. Um, work out how to be scary it doesn't work because they're just too nice interestingly Alec Baldwin almost unrecognisable in this film he's, he's like a different person it's, I'm like is he a really good actor or is this before he turned into Alec Baldwin do you know I think I mean? this is before he turned into Alec Baldwin because he, he seems like a really nice person it's like it's, I, like it's really hard he looks like a different person and he's playing such a different character than what you come to expect from him you know yeah he's just a run of the mill nice guy mm. and I don't think I don't think anybody would ex <laughs> describe Alec Baldwin as that uh, it's quite interesting we're watching this and we got about half an hour 45 minutes in there where I say I say to my wife strange to think that that's Alec Baldwin and she went who and I went him and she went that's Alec Baldwin and I was like yeah and yeah. she was like doesn't even look like him it's weird you know it? It, it is strange i think there's yeah. a, again there's like a there's like a point in his career i want to say it's the edge with anthony hopkins uh, i haven't seen it he basically goes out into the wilderness with anthony hopkins and they get attacked by a bear oh cool uh i feel I'd pay, like i'd pay money to see he, that <laughs> he, he, he has a beard in that and yeah. i feel like all the films before he's quite young you know like he, post -beard. he plays jack yeah. ryan in hunt for red october Right. Uh, he's in a couple of Glen Glary, Glen Ross, quite clean, quite smooth. Like he grows a beard almost. in the edge, like yeah. 95, and he automatically becomes a bit more angry. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then post that, he becomes a bit more angry and a bit more Alec Baldwin. A bit more Alec Baldwin, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, moving on to the kind of facts, we've kind of 
gone on a bit of a tangent. But it's interesting. So at the time, it was given a budget of $15 million. And in its opening weekend, it made just over half of that back with just over $8 million. Gross for the US and Canada, $74.5 million. And about the same as well for worldwide, which works out in today's coinage, today's money, about $155 million. Not bad. That's just box office. Yeah. Absolutely. And mm. as I say, I think a lot of that is because it has that kind of... You don't need to think about it too much. You can. It's 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 popcorn cinema, mm. you know, films yeah. you need to go and see with your mates and it's just a film you put on. Mm. You know, it's not... It's never never necessarily going to win any... You're going to be rubbing your chin, sort yeah. of watching it. It's not a, like a neckbeard movie, no. <coughs> yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a pretty good return, man. I mean, it, I, like I say, it's really hard for me to remember it in context. It was, it was. I remember it being fairly big. Like everyone knew what Beetlejuice was. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, what's that film? It's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Beetlejuice. You know, what I mean? I think, it was big. I enough, think a large portion know? of that is because of that visual style. Mm. It's something. It's very easily recognisable, even mm. if you've not seen it. Yeah, so the Beetlejuice say, character. Is very especially on the cover. He's got his like stripy shoot, stripy suit on, his white crazy white hair, and his that it's ghoulish like, face paint. It's, like, it's yeah. iconic. It's almost yeah. a bit cliche now. Yeah, you know. And I, I do. I'm I'm sure people. I remember people going, "You you know that's the bloke who played Batman." It's like, yeah, I know. It's it's not that good of makeup, but it is. I suppose because the character's so far removed. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And. I think that's a really good return, considering that it's not a summer blockbuster. So it wasn't. It wasn't released. In, it was released March thirtieth, nineteen eighty-eight. So okay. well and truly in the middle yeah. of spring, so mm. not at that summer level mm. where, ten, generally speaking, films do better in the summer. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, is that is the the spring is the spring box office? That's not the dead. Is that the dead? Is that where they just chuck movies? It's the dead I th- zone. I, I as think it the were, dead you know zone I mean? is kind of the fall. So it's after summer. I'm pretty right? sure yeah, it's that's like what I September, think. September, yeah. end of end of August, September, beginning of October. Kids have gone back to and school, then it starts becoming horror films. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Halloween type. Yeah. So, so that's the we'll throw this in just before summer. It should do reasonably yeah, yeah, well, yeah. sort of. Yeah, <laughs> we've <laughs> got we've got. I mean, the equivalent of Batman coming out in a couple of months. This is the placeholder. It should do okay, sort of thing. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, directed by Tim Burton, which we've kind of spoken about a little bit about. It was uh, written by Michael McDowell, Larry Wilson, and Warren Scarron, who all worked on the screenplay. Produced by Michael Bender, Richard Hashimoto, and Larry Wilson as well. Obviously, composed by Danny Elfman, as we mentioned earlier. And the cinematographer was Thomas E. Ackerman. And I think it's quite it's quite interesting to say, if looking through a lot of the the work that pretty much all of those people that I've just mentioned, they've all worked on pretty similar kind of films in that kind of same quite slightly quirky slightly kooky kind of feel to them i think the only person who's really gone on to work on what i would call a wide range of different work is danny elfman but that's Mm. more i think composers generally will work on a lot more than producers and things like that yeah uh warren scarham worked on top gun Beverly Hills Cop 2, Batman as well. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, a lot of them 
worked on this and then a few other things and this was kind of like their main hit. Oh, really? Unfo this unfortunately, was the peak for a lot of them. Uh, the, so Michael McDowell, one of the writers, Warren Scarran and Michael Bender were all unfortunately passed away within 10 years of the film being released. Oh, no. I think Michael McDowell, let me just look through my notes here, who is the main kind of prominent figure yeah, in the writing, he was he, apparently he was quite professionally and personally fixated on on the subjects of death and dying, uh, and actually received a doctorate in English literature from the Brande University with his PhD dissertation titled "American Attitudes Towards Death, eighteen twenty five to eighteen sixty five." He sounds like a barrel of laughs. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's one of those things where... I think he gets invited to many dinner parties. You know? Apparently, he had a real collection of death-type memorabilia. You know, I know there was... Uh, in, the, in the Victorian times, there was a real kind of uh, trend of taking normal pictures of, of people who have just That's died and posing that, a yeah. bit like taxidermy but with humans mm. very odd but at the time was considered very mundane and very normal but and he had a collection uh, of that did he apparently had a collection of all sorts of types of things like this creepy which <laughs> again it's interesting we see that as creepy and it's perfectly normal back perfectly then, normal right? and probably to some people quite mundane mm. although <laughs> It is creepy. <laughs> a bit weird. If you go around someone's house and say, have you seen my collection of Victorian death oh, just, photographs? I've got like a little... Got a, got a little uh, photo album on the coffee table and you just pick it up. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah, that's yeah. not Tenerife yeah. 1985, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. But, you know, so for him, I think, obviously, this this subject matter was obviously quite close and dear to him, which mm. kind of explains why there is kind of... I, there's feels like there's a real love in the world that's created. Mm. You know, it doesn't mm. feel like, oh, this is just something that's kind of written in half an hour and then passed off to a director. It does yeah. feel like something that's had a lot of time and thought put into it. Yeah. I believe the original script's quite... was was a lot darker, though, wasn't it, than uh, yeah, what ended think, up on yeah. the screen, yeah. So I think that's why Larry Wilson and uh, what's the other and Warren Scarron came on was to just you know lighten it and up lighten a bit, it up right, a little yeah. bit because it's very easy to go dark with that kind of subject matter because it's naturally a bit of a taboo anyway. Mm. So you've kind of got to really got, lighten got it up a bit. Play it come, for on. Laughs. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, son, keep it light. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But in terms of the cast. I think stellar it's a, cast actually really really good performances throughout I think yeah I mean obviously we, you know you've got the main kind of staple names you've got Alec Baldwin Gina Davis and Michael Keaton mm. but I think it's got a really good supporting cast mm. as well you know I think you know uh, who is it uh, Delia played by Catherine O'Hara who's kind of had a bit of a renaissance in her recent years Kevin's mum yeah. 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 Uh, she's in a program at the moment <laughs> with. She was in Chits Creek, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. kind of been her renaissance. Yeah, yeah. But she's really, really good in this. Steals the movie. I literally one of the notes I made was steals this film. Her, I, com her comedic chops 
are second to none. I think know. her chemistry with Otto as well. It's brilliant, isn't it? Is, yeah, it's, yeah. They play yeah. off each other really well. Yeah. That's the first thing I noticed within a couple of minutes of them being on screen is... They're like a double act. Those yeah. two are having a, are having a whale of a time yeah. filming this. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Obviously, Winona Ryder as well. For, for, I often find when you have younger people in films, they're usually the worst part of it. Mm. The best compliment I can pay Winona Ryder is that I kind of forgot she's a child. Mm. She doesn't. It's not like she's she's playing it like an annoying kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, very few films, obviously, Goonies, Home Alone, E.T., very few of those those types of films have kids who aren't annoying. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's, a, it's very easy, or at least very common, it would seem, to get the casting way off when they're casting younger actors for exactly those reasons you're saying. Like, how many films... Excuse me, how many films... Are almost unwatchable and it's not it's not the child's fault it's the casting people in the director's fault usually because they've just gone in the wrong direction and it seems to happen a lot this isn't one of those movies as you say the cast is but i think it's her breakout role it must be right That's yeah i think it is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's before everything else she's i think she's, she's fairly i think she's like 16 in this movie i think i read um so it must be a breakout role. She's perfectly cast. And like you say, it isn't... Um... Sorry, I thought you were going to cough then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's not, it's not a good sign, is it? Uh, um, isn't, isn't annoying, isn't, um, uh, you know, isn't overacting either, you know. It's, it's, it's a good performance, it's a solid performance, man. Yeah, and it's... I think a lot of a lot of the time the casting is usually done by oh you look like the right kind of kid you look like the thing that we're going for mm. you know rather than their acting chops yeah whereas yeah. here you know I'm not saying I mean playing know, a moody teenager might have been like a busman's holiday but she still does it very well you we, know? I think we've seen roles where kids are playing essentially themselves and they mm. somehow manage to mess it up yeah you know, uh, yeah, no. Kevin's mum for me in this movie steals this movie. She's so good. Uh, like, like I, I, I was watching it and I was like, I wrote Gina Davies, brilliant comedic actor, and then Kevin's mum turns up and I'm like, oh, you just lost. And then like as the film progressed, I was like, there isn't a bad comedic performance in this film from from the the females from the males from the puppets <laughs> that every every comedic turn is done just right like you say is it Otho is that how it's pronounced yeah yeah he's hilarious do you know it's all there isn't a bad um, badly delivered line of dialogue it all hits the mark perfectly you know yeah and I think I think that's really really difficult to achieve I think you know, we hear about casts where they have, you know, a stellar cast where it's, you know, great actor, great actor, great actor, great actor. But I think just as difficult to produce is a is a cast of... I'm not going to say relative unknowns because there are people who are, who are known here, but not your necessarily your, your big-name stars, mm. but are able to just create this this really yeah. good and in a feel movie, and vibe. And in a movie where... Um... <coughs> You're going to be dead before this podcast is over. <laughs> uh, in a movie where Michael Keaton is chewing scenery left, right and centre, 
all of the other comedic performance, all of the other performances hold their weight, and they're not all trying to outact each other. It doesn't, it doesn't you don't get that who's winning vibe, like you know what I mean? It's like it's that they're, they're all holding their own in a movie when Michael Keaton's like off the walls Looney Tunes kind of performance is happening and that says something like it's it's a credit to the director it's a credit to the to the actors it's a credit to the script that you hate no <laughs> I think one thing it's it would have been really easy to have that kind of vibe and you know oh this person's just trying to outdo that person mm. like could you imagine getting Alec Baldwin now to less a little bit less playback you're you're the calm sensible one just let let it happen around you just wouldn't happen if if you've seen the departed (laughs) Uh it's it's literally you know him just trying to keep up with everybody else like could you like the fact that that even exists on film alec baldwin i wouldn't say playing second fiddle necessarily but but doing a restrained performance in the middle of what is just such a ludicrous concept and a ludicrous movie and is quite fascinating. And it, it is totally needed because it, you could very easily get lost. Oh, yeah, they very, have to be the anchor, don't they? The, yeah, uh, otherwise it's... Adam too, and Barbara. Yeah. Before you know it, it's too much one way, it's too much yeah. this, and you're going, it's, yeah. it's too far. Mm. So they have to be that, you know, the anchoring point where they're reining everything in and keeping mm. everything grounded. It's also, yeah, it's like central to the plot as well it's like they're very calm nice normal people and here come this family of lunatics but they're the dead ones who are like pulling their faces off and doing it but they're even in the midst of all of that like you say it's very important that they stay grounded and calm because they're that grounded calm family unit that Winona Ryder's character needs and it stuck around her to her parents her stepmother and her father who are clearly crazy like types you know um, so good, so all round good performances, man. You know, yeah. Which is really, really difficult to achieve because usually in a cast, there's a character or an actor you could kind of do without. You could kind of get rid of, and it wouldn't really make much of a difference. Mm. And I think whether or not it was a conscious choice to go, we're not going to try and match Keaton here. Let Keat, you know, wind him up and let him go. Mm. And we're not going to give you too much of him so it becomes annoying. Like, can you imagine Jim Carrey in that role? It's the Jim Carrey show at that point. Uh, Carrey show I at that point, I literally put, it? five years later, this would be Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. My, my wife said the same thing. It's Jim, that's you know, Jim Carrey and movie, you know what I mean? I think it would do a good job of it. it but it, It's a different film. It's it's yeah. The Mask. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's funny, because literally I thought... 10 years later this is a Jim Carrey film all over it mm. <coughs> I think it's one of those things where he Michael Keegan Michael, uh, Michael, Michael who? Michael Keegan <laughs> <laughs> Michael Keegan he's like Michael Keegan no uh, hey, you did a grand job back of the net there son <laughs> <laughs> what a performance <laughs> uh, I think because Michael Keegan is an actor who yeah. does comedy as opposed to not necessarily a comedian, but a comedic actor. Mm. I think that adds just a different kind of level to it where, yeah, you've got that kind of eccentricness and that really over-the-top play, but it's not it's not to Jim Carrey's level where it's like, okay, we're going to let Jim go, he's going to do 10 minutes of stuff and we're going to take 30 seconds of it. Mm. You know, I think there's an element of... Uh, <coughs> <coughs> Death is looming large. I'm going to be having a f- uh, 
I'm going to be having a, a call with Beetlejuice in a minute. <laughs> Just marking down, I'm going to have to cut out your swearing. <laughs> Many apologies, I swear I, like a docker. I, I dropped an F-bomb earlier and I didn't write it down. I'm like, I'm going to have to go back through this and find that. <laughs> I corrected it, I dropped it, went, oh, say that again without the swear word. I no idea where it was. About half hour ago, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's safe to say that we are still a professional outfit. Do you think it matters? Right? Like, I mean, do you think about the content of what we're talking about is, is very adult content at the moment? And we obviously have a policy where we, we try not to swear too much in here. We try, try to keep it out completely just because, you know, it's... it's Seems like the right thing to do in that respect. But when you're talking about the subject matter we're talking about, you're like, you just said shit. <laughs> you know I mean? can, can you not? It does seem a little ludicrous. It's, you like, know it's I mean? like we've got the uh, the censor man in the corner going, you <laughs> actually can't say that on record. <laughs> yeah. Where but were yeah, Job vacancies at Amity Island this month. We are currently recruiting for a new sheriff at Amity Sheriff Station. Candidates will be smart of appearance and have some policing knowledge. Job row will include all things sheriffy and some shark murder may be necessary. Also hiring at Quince Bait and Tackle Shop looking for new captain due to loss of previous candidate due to mega shark munching. Please apply within Quince Bait and tackle shop south of the pier. mind. The show that delves deep into the psyche to find out what makes a great character, a great performance, and what makes a great actor. I am Julius Oxbridge Teeth III. Join me as we go deep into the actor's mind. the third won't you join me next week as we go deep into the actress mind
but yeah, as you say, a really, really good cast. Uh, I'm, I th- I'm still laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to pull it back here, Jim. I've got no idea what we're talking about, but I'm I reckon, trying to pull it back. I reckon there's going to be an edit there, mate. Yeah. <laughs> The whole conversation is gonna cut, come back in. <laughs> Great acting. <laughs> but in terms, in terms of the cast, we've got our usual uh, alternative casting oh, trivia. Yeah. Yep. As we always seem to pluck out in these things, which is always a really, if nothing else, interesting read. So the first one, which. I mean, I'm going to present it to you in a way where we know that Tim Burton is a bit kooky. He's a bit he's a bit out there. He may have established that. Yes. He's got some ideas which aren't necessarily the norm. But I would like to know what kind of thing he was smoking. <laughs> okay. Because apparently, pinch of salt needed with this, mm-hmm. but apparently... Because he was a he was a, a fan of this this particular person since childhood. You're building this up. This better be impressive. <laughs> he wanted in the role of Beetlejuice, uh-huh. Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> and the the end of the trivia. Sammy Davis Jr. finishes with. But studio executives didn't like that idea at all. <laughs> and I would, I've never thought I'd say this, but. Thank God for studio executives. Like, I can't see it at all. Like, there there may what. be a long period of silence while I process this information. Sammy Davis Jr. For those who are having trouble picturing Sammy Davis Jr., no, he's, I, he's, he's one of the rat pack yeah. of, you know, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. Who was the other dude? It's a very... Oh, dear, sorry, I was... Frank Snatcher, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., isn't that it? I don't know. It's oh. four of them. It's another one that we're forgetting. I don't know. Anyway, one of the Rat Packs, big band, man. fantastic performer in his own right. However, not really... I'm going to say John Wayne. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> However, not really somebody you could picture in a film... Sorry, yeah, no, made so by Tim Burton. It's, it's a very different performance. He would then be, I'm assuming, and I don't want to typecast Sammy Davis Jr., he would have been a smooth character, right? If you're thinking Rat Pack... The only thing I can think is this was before a proper script was seen and they didn't really know what the character was. Or before they was. changed the script. Yeah, because... Because I, I could see if he was like <laughs> a smoother, you know, your sort of smooth devil kind of demon character where it's more like... He, like, so I can only see him in a tuxedo. That's all I see him in, in my I mind. I think it's safe to Could say... Could you see you, Sammy Davis Jr. in a black and white pinstripe... No, it's not pinstripe, is it? Black and white stripey suit, humping the ground. <laughs> it just, it's, like, eating it's, beetles. Yeah, uh, eats a fly. That's a great... That scene, you know, where the fly lands and his hand comes out of the... the I was going to call it AstroTurf, but, you know, the fake grass. And he eats the fly. Is a, It is a definite nod to the original Fly, the the Fly horror movie, because at the end of that movie, I think we discussed this in the Fly episode, when they find the fly with the man's head 
on a cobweb about to be eaten by a spider, it's going, help me, help me, help me. That is right. And some of you say that these podcasts don't have a link. <laughs> there it is right there, everyone. But yeah, I saw that and I went, that, <coughs> they must have done that on purpose. Yeah. Right, you know what I, mean? I think it's safe to say you'd have to change an awful lot about this movie to accommodate Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. in that role. I think it, I don't know if it's just one of these things that somebody just types and it becomes a thing, you know, almost it's like a water cooler moment where like somebody a, says it and it becomes the, oh, that's actually what was going to happen. Or it's a throwaway comment he yeah. made in an interview once. Was there anyone else you would have wanted to play him? Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. Do you know, because, like... I don't know much about Tim Burton, but he can be a bit ornery. <laughs> you know what I mean, he can be a bit grumpus, you know. Um, so I could well see him going like just to be a sardonic d hole. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, why? Because oh, I just love him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now it seems more believable. And, and then chuckling to himself, they're going to write that down. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a very strange one. Uh, for the role of Lydia, which is uh, Winona Ryder's character, we had Juliette Lewis potentially. Oh, uh, would that be that be a pre-fame Juliette Lewis as well? Yeah, I suppose. yeah. I don't. Um, well, I, I think up. of her as Dust Till Dawn has probably been one of her earliest roles. The first one I ever saw True her in. Romance. Uh, no, it's not True Romance. Uh, Natural Born Killers. That's she was it, in, yeah. wasn't she? So that would have been. Before Dust Till Dawn? Yeah, 19... Before? I say 92, <laughs> 93, that was. Yeah, it's got to be. So, definitely... So, she, in 88, she's around the right age, definitely, you know. Mm. It's not like we see now where we've got 30-year-olds playing teenagers. Mm. Uh, also, Sarah Jessica Parker, which, again, pre-fame at the time. Yeah, she turns up in Edward with um, Burton as well, doesn't okay, she? Yeah. Again, some substance there, then. Brooke Shields. Again, sort of child actor around yeah. that time, yeah. Molly Ringwald. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Jennifer Connolly. Yeah, of course. That, what's, what's Labyrinth? That's 87-ish? It's around the same time, isn't similar, it? It's, similar. Yeah, time, similar time. So time yeah. Again, all those kind of young. I could see Jennifer uh, Connolly doing a Renona Ryder, but you only have that as a reference because yeah, Winona yeah. Ryder did it so it'd be in, I don't know what her performance would consist of but I could see her doing that act, it's not too much you know of a mean? jump to see her in that yeah. role is it it's, yeah. you know it's not Sammy Davis Jr <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> another role uh, con oh, sorry another actor considered for Beetlejuice mm -hmm. Dudley Moore <laughs> okay yeah I mean I like Dudley Moore he's a good comedic actor it, it's a mm, yeah no it's the problem is with a role like Beetlejuice it's it is Beetlejuice it's like trying to recast Indiana Jones it's just like always my go to try to recast imagine someone else you know it's supposed to be Tom Selleck and you go nah but that's because you've got Harrison Ford in your head so it's, that was always very visceral so I always return to it so when you think of Beetlejuice you think of Michael Keaton you could say that Sammy Davis Jr. is so left field, you go, no, it can't be done unless it's completely different. Dudley Moore, again, it's going to be very different. It's going to be very English. It's not going to be... 
I can't imagine it being as sort of uh, what's the word like viscerally gross because he's quite a gross character and his, his like the actual character's gross this, his appearance is gross this, everything that comes out of him is like even he's got this like fat fake belly suit on so he just looks like he's like slovenly and slobbish is kind of how he comes across doesn't he you know what I mean Dudley Moore doing that that act in a British accent it doesn't quite mesh but I could imagine a version that Dudley Moore does that's very different that would also probably be quite because it might also have relegated it to oh that movie once that came out you know what I mean yeah I think it's difficult when you've got when you, when the title role mm. is iconic at this point yeah it's, it's very as you say very difficult to picture anything else or something complete completely different I think I think there's a real the reason I said Jim Carrey you know 10 years later would be yeah. is because there's a real kind of in Keaton's version, a subtly slapstick physical character there yeah. that I think a lot of people would take what was said and do the lines mm. and they would miss that physicality that Ke Keaton brings to it mm. and therefore it's not the same. Whereas even the bit where it's the little advert on the telly and he's the he's the cowboy, mm -hmm. the way he's kind of, the way he moves mm. is as, yeah, it's, is it's as grotesque but, yeah. and... and as kind of jarring as the words that's coming out and the mm. you know his voice is very gravelly mm. you know it kind of meshes really well together and i think a lot of a lot of actors would kind of miss that and would go oh it's just it's just funny lines let's yeah. do the lines that's what's funny actually yeah they miss that great physical performance where so like yeah like you're saying if you had jim carrey doing it you go well. He's going to bring the physicality as Dial well. Dial it up to ten, and yeah, you know that's yeah. what you're. You know, yeah, you'll Jim end up Carrey doing. essentially would be Michael Keaton, but on Red Bull. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Dudley Moore, several cans of Red Bull. It's, it's just not there, <laughs> yeah, is it? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, again, it's a very different. I almost. It would. I can only imagine Dudley Moore as Beetlejuice as being very like a why is me kind of act. Do you know what I mean? Like, very sorry I don't, for I don't want to be doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in the again in the role of Barbara, which was obviously played by Gina Davis, mm -hmm. again crops up. We obviously was in the fly, and we spoke about Gina Davis. Mm. <coughs> Here, I think she's cast brilliantly again. Superb, yeah. As you were saying, up until uh, Kevin's mum, I can, that's all I can refer to her as. Yeah, sorry about unfortunately. that. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, up until she enters the frame. The first thing I thought was Gina Davis has got really great comic timing. That is just yeah. that is taken for granted. Like there's mm. that scene where they're in bed and then the covers get taken off her and she's actually levitating beside. Mm. And there's a really good point where she realizes, then she falls, then she screams. Mm. And I think a lot of people would realize scream and then the fall would happen. Mm. Whereas she does it after the fall or very, mm. very subtly. And it's like, it just makes it that bit funnier. Yeah. And I think... No, I 100% had exactly the same thought process. I was like, she's such an underrated comic actor. Like, it's criminal. Because it's funny, because we, obviously we saw her in The Fly and we were talking about other oh, films. I didn't even think about Beetlejuice when we were talking about her in The Fly. And then I'm watching, I'm like, oh my God, she's a great comic actor. And then Kevin's mum's turns up and and like her... her, the, her the comedy doesn't end. It's all... It, it's very subtle. Like I say, her timing's great. Her delivery's great. Is when you're matching it with, with Kevin's mum. It's it's a di very different performance. But yeah, I had exactly the same thought process. She's a great comic actor. 
And interestingly, obviously, there's some other names that were brought to the fray. So, mm. Kirsty Alley, who <laughs> I can't picture, but she, apparently she was in Cheers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a Star Trek film once. Um, I can't picture her. But, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything you would have seen her in, but that is what she's famous for. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, which. Wow. I. I'm 80, 88. 88. So it's, it's when just did kind of. Aliens come out. 70 the first one's 79 isn't it the second <laughs> one is 86 80, 82 eight, is no eight, eight, the second one's 82 aliens aliens oh, no is, aliens is 86 sorry yeah yeah i thought it was 86 not known for her because she's done comedy works Gorney weaver obviously ghostbusters ghostbusters is what 80 about the same 87 around that sort of time 87, 87. It might be I think, earlier, I think I she'd be great in this. Uh, she does. She can do. Com she can do comedy. I think really the problem. Well. The problem being is that by this point, you're not seeing Sigourney you'd Weaver. Be seeing Ripley. You're seeing Ellen Ripley, yeah. and that's the problem. Sometimes where if this had come three, four, even probably a year or two after Alien, where we're still getting used to her being in the public guys, and she's mm. she's played a good character, but that's not defined her just yet. Mm. It would probably it could have worked, but I think at this time it's horse is probably yeah. bolted, and you'd be watching Ellen Ripley. It's, 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 it. Again, it's you can only you can only sort of view these things through your own perspective, can't you? So she was in Ghostbusters before she was in Aliens for me, and I'm not sure I ever really compared the two or put the two together. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like oh, yeah. she's that lady from Ghostbusters, and then when I was old enough to watch Aliens which is I saw Aliens before I saw Alien, I was like, oh, this film's amazing. But I wasn't then going, no, that's that lady from Ghostbusters. If it had been the other way round, I think it would might have been jarring. Like you say, if she'd turned up in in Beetlejuice playing a sort of very sort of Harold and Hilda um, housewife kind of kooky, but, you know, very straight-laced, I think maybe I would have been going like, that's, that's weird. But she has really good comedic chops. She can definitely pull it off. Yeah, I, I, I just think <coughs> sometimes you're playing against what people are known for. Yeah. And sometimes you can use Sometimes that, that works, doesn't you it? You can That's use right. it to yeah, your yeah. advantage and go, you know, much like we've you I think a couple of the characters we're saying, we're expecting one thing and then mm. then it's something else. No. The one that always sticks away is they're like, um, is it Road to Perdition? And they're like, oh, Tom Hanks is playing yeah, against yeah. type in this. I'm like... Is he? <laughs> I'm getting some Tom Hanks vibes off of this character, you know. Uh, he's ultimately still playing a nice guy, you know. It's just... Everything a, around him is a bit more depressing. Yeah, he, he's a nice guy with a bad job who's done bad things, but he's still deep down a nice guy. Yeah, know? it's very um, difficult to imagine mm. Tom Hanks as anything other than a... At the heart of it, a nice guy. He's nice. You know, uh, yeah. another name that was bounced around... Uh, and for me, this is just, again, probably just because she was a name in Linda Hamilton. Uh, okay, yeah, I mean, no. I mean, <laughs> obviously, for the vast majority of people, she's Sarah Connor. Yeah. yeah. I, I've got a soft spot for the film Dante's Peak. Uh, Pierce, my Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan's. And uh, Pierce Brosnan's. <laughs> It's got that Pierce Brosnan's in he's that. Got, he's got some of them Pierce Brosnan's. Uh, <laughs> Dirty bugger. <laughs> <Which> is, <laughs> uh, I've got a soft spot for it. 
but it's very difficult to imagine Linda Hamilton as anything other than yeah, you know yeah. And again, you play you 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 use it. You've got that same problem. She's in an episode of Frasier, which is probably early noughties. She's only in it briefly. Playing she's not meant, about her not, son, who's like you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a second. Then I was like, what? Um, it's it's she's not in it for long. She's maybe maybe five minutes of the episode, um, and she's not like playing it for laughs. You know, she's playing it straight. She's pretty funny in it though. It's it, she, it's sort of that deadpan delivery sort of thing, um, almost a bewildered sort of like. Not bewildered character, mm. but bewildered by the situation. Oh, okay. It, I actually think it would work. It would work if it was 20 years later anyway, or 15 years later. I, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, I think it would work. If you could get Sarah Connor, Sierra Connor, uh, out of... That was terrible. <laughs> I was going to say, don't know who, the, who Sierra, that was. Sierra Connor. <laughs> John Malkovich is a Terminator, is it? Peking. Uh, <laughs> Beetlejuice. Um... Pachim, play Beetlejuice on the money, nyani. Um, if you could get Sarah Connor out of your mind, maybe. I think, like, again, very iconic roles, very hard to move past sometimes, aren't they? Yeah. I think it's just difficult because I don't think Linda, I've not seen Linda Hamilton in anything other than those two films I mentioned Terminator and. Uh, Terminator Dan, 2 Dan. <laughs> Terminator she's in Terminator 2 uh, and, uh, and Dark and, and Dante's Peak Dark Horizons is that the Terminator film she turns up in again Dark Fate Dark Fate that's yeah, it yeah. Uh, um, I, I'm not sure I've seen Dante's Peaks yeah, I mean you're not missing Pierce much Brosnan's. it's like it's like a it's like a Sunday afternoon version of Volcano right right yeah but uh, All right, well yeah I'm gonna say know, yeah uh, yeah, uh, it's difficult. Uh, and uh, again, another name I can see working for this is for Delia now, which mm. is the Kevin's mum, uh, Angelica Houston, Morticia herself. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, she would definitely be able to. But I hang on. When was Adam's family's? I want to say like nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah, early nineties. Yeah. So you wouldn't be thinking of Morticia when you saw her. So yeah, okay, all right, yeah, let's go with it. I, I think that could work. Uh, again, another another name for the role of Lydia Heather Lankenkamp. Oh, of course, from yeah. uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street. Who did she play in Nightmare on Elm Street? The main girl in Nightmare on Elm Street. I forget her name now. I want to say I'm going to say Kirsty. It's Kirsty. Her name's Kirsty. Doesn't sound like a horror no, film name. Kirsty's Kirsty. definitely the name of the girl in Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Fair enough. Uh, I think. She, she plays the main, I just the main girl in, went, I in think. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare on um, Elm Street. What is her name? Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Again, mm. right sort of age. I think mm. that kind of works. Uh, another casting for uh, Adam's character, Bill Pullman. Yep. That works. Yeah. I kind of see Bill Pullman as that kind of character anyway. Everyone's dad. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. kind of a nice guy. Just. Yeah, just a nice guy. I've got some other names now. These, is this, is this these about are to take all a considered turn? to play Beetle. Beetle. It, <clears throat> I keep saying Beetle Geese because that's how Beetle it's written. Yeah. <coughs> right, I'm going to throw some names out. Right. All a quick yes or no. Maybe a little <laughs> bit of explanation. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> I always think of that Laurence Olivier quote. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Try impossible. acting, it's yeah. much easier. I uh, think he'd be like sleeping in cemeteries for about a week before the movie was made. Like, I'm just getting into character. I've been eat, leave, living off eating flies and bugs and things. Like, yeah. No. Ah. Uh, hang on. He's what I'm trying to think of comedies. He did Meet the Fockers. He's funny in that, but he's not Beetlejuice funny. So new. Robin Williams. Oh, Robin. There's nothing Robin Williams can't do. I mean, it's... it's yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I'm just going to say, it's not that there's ever a, a good person to lose in Hollywood, but yeah. we lost Robin Williams far too soon. Just such 100%, a... 100%, yeah. And not only for his comedic work, but just for his his serious work as well. Mm. Really underrated. A, a superb actor. And like, as I said, there's nothing he couldn't yeah. do. Um hundred percent, actually. That that that's still a great movie. Robin yeah. Williams as Beetlejuice is still a good. I movie. I see it being more family friendly as a movie. I see. I see Robin Williams. I almost see Robin Williams doing a version ish of like the genie, where Beetlejuice ends up going into other characters. I think that's other... like that is where his his movie <clears throat> career sort of ended up. I think his stand up stuff is is more adult leaning it's not like yeah. adult adult but it's more adult leaning so it's not chris rock yeah <laughs> yeah it, 100% I, I, it's still a great movie yeah yeah definitely different but still great christopher lloyd <laughs> actually in a weird way yeah i could go with that I mean, I mean he's got Lloyd, half the look already, isn't he? <laughs> he kind of, uh, you've seen him lately, he kind of does look a little bit like Beetlejuice now. Um, I love Christopher Lloyd. Um, obviously, he's Doc Brown um, to me, or Jim from Taxi. Um, but he's always Doc Brown. It's different. I mean, it's, he does basically stoned a lot. That like That's his sort of character vibe, is stoned. Um, he's in... He's in Clockwork Orange as well, isn't he? I'm sure he's one of the people in, in the image. I know Danny DeVito's in there. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd's in there. Um, a young Christopher Lloyd. I'm sure he is. I love that movie. It's been a while since I, I have a poster of it on my wall. I should be able to remember this. Yeah, 100% Christopher Lloyd's. It's not a big part. Um, yeah, 100%. I can picture him in it now. Um, it's, again, I don't keep on. It's a very different movie. Seems to be all I'm saying. It's It would work in a different way. Um, okay. I don't think I'd be angry by it anyway. <laughs> Obviously, we've touched upon Jim Carrey, which, again, 10 years later, it's his film. It, it Without would be... a doubt. If they remade it tomorrow, he would still be in discussions for yeah, it. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? it's a, it's a, yeah. It's just a, just a role that lends itself quite easily to that kind of performance. Mm. Tim Curry... Um, I can see that, but it being very dark. All I see is the clown from it when you say it. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, I actually I, think that I, would still work. I think it yeah. would work, but I yeah. think it would be a much more, a, a much darker version of that character. I think yeah, it maybe. would lean yeah. into that kind of yeah. disgusting element of the, of yeah, the character, yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, Jack Nicholson. I don't know because he's sorry. Oh, <laughs> Let's get Stanton Curry for a moment. Ignore what I've well, just, I was just said. Well, I was just thinking about like the clown in it, as frightening as that is, the comedy stuff in that, it's very Beetlejuice. Like, have you seen the 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 TV version yeah, 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 with yeah. Tim Curry? Right, I saw it a few years ago. Again, because I, I remember when it came out, 
Um, it was before the movies had been remade, which is probably longer ago than I think it is now. But anyway. Um, 89, I think it's. Yeah. Film, yeah. So, yeah. I, th- oh, I thought it was early 90s. doesn't matter. It's not important. I watched it a few years back. Um, and the funny stuff, the, his funny bits in it had me, like, qu- I was quoting them for weeks afterwards, you know, kiss me, fat boy, and all that sort of stuff. And all that, like, the funny clown stuff he's doing. It's very Be- Beetlejuice-esque, actually. I, I wonder st- which one came first now. I always remember the story where he was... <coughs> he was Spice. he was cast in the role of the Joker, and I think the animated series uh, did did the pilot or oh, did the first yeah the first and episode. Apparently, they said it's too it's, scary. We're going to go in a different direction. I have I have the animated series on DVD, at least series one. I don't I don't think I have the complete one. Anyway, I haven't noticed that much difference between his performance and um, Mark Hamill's. And Mark Hamill himself said. I literally don't... I couldn't see anything wrong with his performance. I pretty much... It was pretty similar to what I did. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Definitely. I'd okay. watch that movie. Now, I want you to act surprised when I say this <laughs> next name. Jack You're not going to say something stupid like uh, Jack Nicholson, are you? <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Um, uh, I mean, he, we've seen him as the Joker a year later. It's very Opposite, similar, isn't it? Michael Keaton for Tim Burton, all that. Yeah. Let me guide you into the underworld. <laughs> <laughs> no, hang on. <laughs> so I don't know. Right, I'm trying to get Jack Nicholson's Joker in my mind. Go with a smile, right? That's him, isn't it? Where does he get those toys? Those wonderful, wonderful toys. I mean, he he can. Yeah, but. Mm. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm going to say yeah. I'm going for yeah. I, I can't expand on it any more than he played the Joker and he was good at doing that. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yeah. Not top of my list, but yeah. Bill Murray? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I don't think he could do it. I, the only way I could see him do it is if Beetlejuice didn't want to be there. <laughs> it's, it's just there, uh, just like... Um, I totally just like have I really got to do this oh, but again man. you're changing it so no, now much. you've said that I can picture him doing it yeah like, I can't like now you say I, that I can I, can, I think wasn't I it wasn't it, it you who told me the story of Bill Murray would just go around to people's houses doing their do, washing do up, the so. washing up like yeah, he's weird yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. mean turns up turns up at people's parties and then does the washing up was like the, the one I always think about is someone said they were walking through Central Park and he walked up behind them put his hands over their eyes or something they turned around and he went no one's ever going to believe you <laughs> just walked off <laughs> when I say it it sounds sinister <laughs> it was more jovial I believe like no one's going to believe you that you I don't me. care who it is anybody doing that to me is quite sinister <laughs> nobody's going to believe you what kind of psychopath does that <laughs> I think it oh. may have been my delivery no one's going to yeah, it may be right. It sounds creepy now know. you mention it. I tell you yeah, what, yeah. if I'm walking home tonight and somebody puts <laughs> their hands over my eyes, says nobody's going to believe you. <laughs> I... Yeah, now you mention it, that dude's got issues. Yeah. <laughs> um, be- hang on, Beetlejuice. Uh, ah, mate, oh, he's such a different character. Nah, okay. Last two. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's in that. Robert De Niro. 
<laughs> no, no. I mean, I, he's got some comedic chops. Old, uh, he does. Old I, I Robbie feel like, D. I feel like with these, it's literally just where it was. Somebody's on a list. gone. Who's who's made some money? Mm. What about De Niro? No, that's as yeah, much as it yeah. got. This one. <laughs> I mean, I kind of <laughs> want to see it. <laughs> Look what you made me do. <laughs> uh, John Cleese. <clears throat> Another British name. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's got physicality yeah. with his funny walks. Um, he could do funny walking. Have I ever seen John Cleese like really swinging for the fences in a in a movie? Fish called Wanda's great. He plays button down. He plays button-down characters. He plays I'm about to explode with pent-up English rage really well. Is that with Kevin Klein as well and yeah, Jamie Lee? Yeah. Long oh, time I'm since I've seen that, that well. I remember it being really good. <laughs> Probably going to leave that one in. Um, yeah, no, it's, a, it's of its time. It's 80... It's a couple of years after Trading Places, so I'm going to say 88 as well. It's probably the same year as this. I watched it really recently, like a few months ago. The pacing is what an 80s comedy, British comedy would be. It's still really funny. Also has some slightly problematic stuff in it. You can't avoid it. I think this in general. Things have film, moved on. Films we, like, from there that is, era. There's like Kevin Klein spends a lot of the um, film um, taking the mick out of Michael Palin's stutter. So it's stuff like that. Um, but the film as a whole is it still holds up it's really there's some great comedy moments in it um kevin klein it's it's swinging for the fences in that movie but yeah um john i've never seen i don't think i've ever seen john please go I, for it all i can know? see is just him him being basil basil Forty. Like, yes yeah well that, i mean he does get very but it's that pent up yeah i'm gonna explode and then he explodes Help? You want my help? I'm going to say no. Yeah, say it's, no, it's yeah. difficult, isn't it? Okay, well, in the role of... Uh, I saw this thing online the other day, and it was a rejection letter he got for 40 Towers. From So he posted it online all these years later, and it was like, this isn't funny. This Like, it was really scathing. Like, what is this? This is terrible. And he's like, heads of comedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. It makes you wonder, all the things that weren't... The things you could have yeah. seen, yeah. And then some of the things that were commissioned, mm, and you go, that's the terrible comedy, things I have seen. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So in the role of uh, Otho, John Candy, I mean, well, yeah, John Candy in anything's great. You know what I mean? John Goodman again, John Goodman so, in anything's John Goodman, great. There's nothing he can't do either. Yeah. Uh, again, it's the name that always appears on these lists. <laughs> Bob Hoskins, once again. I swear. At least it wasn't Mel Gibson this time. I, I just got an image of like Bob Hoskins' agent going to every meeting about every film. He's available. Got, like, I could get Bob for you. I've got I've got Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Valleywood. Again, again. Actually, I can't see no, Bob Hoskins I mean, in the Again, no. I mean, I, I'm trying not to say the same thing I always say when he comes up, which is, is he doing his Mario voice? <laughs> um, no, bless him. And then a familiar name from the Jurassic Park episode, Wayne Knight. Oh, right, on Newman. Yeah, Newman, yeah. yeah. Newman. 
again. That, yeah, he could do it. it yeah. 88, Seinfeld was on telly then, I think. 88, 89, yeah. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. He's good. He's great in Jurassic Park as well, isn't he? So. That's the thing. It, yeah. It's, I think, as I say, because we spoke about those characters, they're malleable to a point where you can change those. I think Beetlejuice mm. is much more... <coughs> kind of not fixed, but it's a lot more difficult to change that without changing everything. Yeah, you couldn't call Otho an, uh, an iconic character. No, you know no, what no, I mean? No. Or, or any of the others, really. Um, yeah, I, yeah, cool. And I think, interestingly, you know, on the casting, one of the reasons why if you change Michael Keaton, it changes so much is because apparently he had lived about 90% of his lines. Is that right? So, I mean... Oh, it is a completely different movie then. Yeah. yeah, it's... And actually, when you think about if he if he had lived 90% of that, if that's accurate, some of the lines he comes out with, particularly mm. the line where he says, what are your qualifications? I can't remember the whole speech. Yeah. But it's yeah. just, it's brilliant. Had a whale at a time at the yeah. Black Death or something like that. I've yeah, seen The yeah. Exorcist 163 times. It's getting funnier. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is such a good line. Yeah. That yeah. really stands out, that. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, I th I think and it keeps like, getting Funnier. And I think what what's really yeah. good about Keaton's performance is that it's funny, but there's an element of like this guy's a bit scary as he well. He's scary, that's you know. Right. That's yeah, kind of yeah, the whole yeah. point yeah. is that oh, he's funny, yeah. but he's a little bit unhinged and yeah. a little bit, you know. I'll say that word again: kooky. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think yeah, putting anybody else in that role obviously changes it completely. Yeah? Mm. And if you're ad libbing. Yeah, so all the dialogue again. changes, doesn't it? That's it. You so know. yeah, it's a very different movie. So let's have a look at some more general kind of trivia. So ah, oh, here's one that's quite interesting. So yeah. obviously, how these films start. I think until you start looking into them, I think when you th when you think of somebody who's directed a film, mm. like for years, I would always associate that with being their film. Mm. So, because they've directed it, it's theirs. They've oh, yeah, done everything on it. It's their all film, their thing. It? That's right. Yeah. So, when you hear about, oh, this was actually a script that was written and then was bounced around studio to studio. And was it bouncing around for a long time, was it? Yeah. I don't know if, if it was in this instance, but one of the names, again, somebody who's cropped up before, Wes Craven, hmm. on to direct, which yeah. again. If it's the original. <laughs> darker script would make sense because it, yeah, it was originally written as much more more of a sort of standard horror movie than a sort of fairy tale fun family movie wasn't it mm, yeah mm. I think you, you know I think Tim Burton brings with it all of those things that we've actually said is quite positive about mm. the film and all those visual gags yeah. that he brings in like like at the end when when Beetlejuice is trying to marry Lydia and he's looking for the ring and he it's, it's someone's finger. <laughs> He's putting the ring off the finger. It's a little throwaway thing that makes you laugh. Or like when their their caseworker um, is talking to him, and she takes a drag on a cigarette, and then the smoke comes out of her neck instead of out of her mouth. Really, sort of blink and you miss it type it's thing. Really, yeah. yeah, it's there. But if you're looking at her face, you just sort of notice this smoke coming up out of her neck. You know, little stuff like that. And again, like we say, all those little one-liners that are in there that just keep the keep the film bouncing along nicely it's different it's it, all that I want like obviously it's not written by Burton but he took it to, took it to one script doctor then took it to another 
a little bit more. I want more of this. I want a little bit more of this. Get it to where I want it. I want it to feel because he makes those family kind of movies. I mean, so he he would have got all of those jokes added in. All those little one liners, all those nice little bits. And then those visual gags. I wonder how much was him and how much was the script. You know, nice little stuff. Where's Craven's version? It's going to be that darker first version, isn't it? With a, with a little where bit, they of probably, co- little bit of humour dropped in every now and again, yeah. but definitely more of yeah. an afterthought. But I suspect <clears throat> half of the half of the characters would have died by the end of it. You know, I mean, like at least her parents. I suspect her parents would have died, and she would have gone to live with um, Adam and Barbara as as the surrogate parents at the end in in a Wes Craven comedy <laughs> you know it's almost an oxymoron that, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean interestingly the effects budget on this was i mean it says just a million dollars as if just a you million, know which yeah. I, I appreciate in hollywood that is probably it's six, extremely low extremely really. low yeah, but yeah, yeah. Cost, it's funny though because we've made a living crisis the word just <laughs> yeah, is yeah. really offensive well this is the thing we come up with like we took this comes up every now and then with it so we're talking oh they made it for just yeah. 30 million quid, 50 million quid. And it made a, a reasonable return at the box office. And it's like so much money, you can't even really think about it, you know. But it's, um, we've made it this far without actually mentioning the special effects. And it's always very dangerous because we say the same thing about the special effects all the time. This does have my favourite and your favourite, which is practical effects, because it's from 1988. I think we need, like, a little uh, jingle every time we yeah. say it. We're going to say it. Practical yeah. effects! <laughs> we need something like that. It's uh, not bad Interestingly, idea. something that Tim Burton um, said was because of the the um, how low the budget was... His, his measly mil- million uh, dollars. Yeah. He wanted to make it look as tacky and B-movie as possible. Oh, right on, because it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. there's certainly some points where it's like... You know, where they're distorting their faces to try and scare the so family. Yeah, it's yeah. like, that's really, really... like if that's the scene <laughs> Yeah. And it, it works because it keeps that level of lightness to it. Mm. If it had have had it a... It been a serious movie at that a much, point. Or yeah. a much more authentic-looking... Yeah. That would, have, that would immediately make it ten times darker. Yeah, could you imagine if it was a serious movie... And then they pulled out those special effects. You'd be like, it's not funny, but because it's a yeah. comedy, it's it works. It would ruin the movie, like you're saying, the, the other way around. Who, who would be horrifically scarred? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's great. It has lots of plasticine uh, type special effects or claymation, I should say, special mm. effects in it. Um, and it's it's that like we always say, it's that tactile like feel to it. And like you say, like apparently he purposely made it look kind of ropey or B-movie-esque, and it works so well, speaks to me. That's how movies looked when I grew up anyway, and I love it. And all these years later, which is always the same point we always work, always come back to make, is it, it dates but in a different way, whereas CGI dates and just looks bad. This dates, and it's still you still go, that still looks, especially in a comedy it still works and it still looks amazing. Okay, you can see that that's a painting on the ball that they're walking towards or that's clearly, they're clearly dubbed onto a, a pre-animated scene and that's clearly plasticine and claim it. And it doesn't matter in the context of this movie, but it's still, I guess in the context of a fun film, it 
doesn't matter. It's a, it's a weird, otherworldly film. The special effects look weird and otherworldly. It just makes sense, you know. It adds to the level of charm to it. 100%. You know, you, yeah. you're looking at it and you're going, you know, you're not... You're looking at it with a with a more of like an artistic kind of view of like this isn't how did they do this it? isn't meant yeah. to look realistic mm. or 100 percent real this is yeah. you know yeah. uh, and it's like like so there's that scene like you say when they distort their faces and they go back in and Lydia's talking to Beetlejuice in the in the uh, I was gonna say map in the uh, model the, mi- the miniature <laughs> in the yeah. miniature yeah miniature model and they run in and that he's he's trying to put his face back together and she. Um, Again, Gina Davis's great comic timing. She's talking to Lydia and looking over her shoulder, just shooting little like exasperated looks, but they're not over the top. It's subtle. It's great comedy, uh, comedic acting. And then there's that bit where he hasn't quite put his face, and you know it's coming. It's like real low rent special effects where you see the back of his head, and then he turns around and he's got a big long nose, and he just pushes it back in. Absolutely. I mean, I suspect the special effects budget on that was zero, almost. You know what I mean? And you know it's coming, but again, like you say, there's the charm. You know that joke's coming. They don't overlabor it. If you did that now, it would be a whole thing, and it it's it wouldn't it wouldn't add anything to it. You know? Yeah. I mean, my, one of the things that I like is when they're digging up Beetlejuice. Mm. Obviously, it's in the miniature, so the stuff that's used is like stuff, just it's like polystyrene households, and cardboard. Like yeah, yeah. But I like the fact that when they're digging it up, that's the that's like the as opposed to a bundle of dirt, it's a bundle of old chipboard, yeah, it's a and real nice touch, old it, carpet yeah. Yeah. and stuff like that. It's just, it's a really, I think it's a great touch to it because they've lent into that kind of. Mm. We haven't got a lot of money yet. Let's let's rather than hide it let's lean into it and mm. say oh no it's supposed to be like this this is this is the gag the gag mm. is it look doesn't look right yeah. you're expecting silly. this to be dirt yeah, it's, yeah it wouldn't be dirt and it's not going to be yeah like I mean? when he first yeah, yeah. puts the shovel in i'm kind of are oh, they going to cut away it's going to be dirt and yeah. then actually oh no they're just going to carry on shooting it it's just going to the whole the whole <laughs> yeah. bit of the turf comes up it's yeah, brilliant yeah yeah you know yeah. it looks a bit legoy doesn't it that's right yeah. yeah yeah it's great but yeah i mean we i don't want to keep banging on about special effects so much because we do always seem to return to the same yeah, point so, but so it's it's visually for a million quid money well spent because yeah. it became iconic absolutely so moving on to favourite scenes what would you say is your favourite scene in the film uh, it's the dance scenes the, the spe- specifically the one around the table when Harry Belafonte it, kicks in it's so it, standout it's so satisfying I you know. don't want that song to end the music choice is amazing like Adam's love of Harry Belafonte he's listening to it at the beginning of the film he puts it in in that bit and it's at the end um, such great choice in music it's so good that I don't want that song to end when it comes on I'm like ah, oh, just do the whole thing just do the whole sequence from a man who hates musicals do you know what I mean and it's, I know it's not a musical it's very different but that it's, it's like it's like the best tasting cake when I watch it. It's so satisfying. You know I what think I mean? what makes it as well is you could do that and it could just be, oh, this is a little dance number. And a little Overdo it it's as well, the, I think, yeah, yeah. It's the look, again, pretty mm. much on Delia's face as she's like, the, she's the totally acting, out yeah. of control of her own extremities. And mm. she, that's, that. you know, when we said earlier about, you know, comedic acting and why she's so good, that scene is where... You can so, so tell that they're having so much fun mm. because that kind of energy and that kind of uh, 
fun funness just kind of bleeds through the camera. It, yeah, it and that's really screen, that's yeah. often really difficult to kind of capture. Like, yeah, how many takes do you think that took? You, you, you know? can yeah. film something, mm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that the vibe and the feeling that's in the room. Mm. It's going yeah, to translate you've got angles into... to do. You've got like different takes. You've got right. You're slightly off there. We've got to go again. I mean, and me the... and you trying to record an intro to a podcast <laughs> takes long enough. You know what I mean? And then you have got the thing of like whoever's editing that has then got to edit that and not lose any of that. Time that. So right it's a, you know real real skill involved mm. that <clears throat> I think a lot of people would look at and wouldn't necessarily go. Oh, that's that's a that's hard to pull off. That's a masterpiece yeah, of filmmaking. Yeah. There, nobody. I don't think anybody would really look at that and go, you know, they look at things that are much easier to make that jump. But I think here, mm. it's. I'm not going to say it's a masterpiece of filmmaking, but it's certainly one of the subtleties of filmmaking that a lot of people take for granted. Yeah, and it's it's definitely one of the one of the better things Burton's put on to film. You know, um, not that this, his stuff's rubbish or anything, but that is so iconic specifically when they they return to it at the end when she's like I did well in my exams like, oh go on then and they put it you know um, that that lives in my head that scene as it does I think a lot of people because it's so like it's, it's something it's got that thing that you can't quite put your finger on where it just works why why is that funny or why is that so well why does that stand out so much i don't know i couldn't tell you if i wrote that down on a bit of paper they get possessed and they all um go around the table and sing uh sing a song or sing harry bell funny whatever it is you know what's the song it'll be a slightly funny song so it will look absurd oh yeah i can i can mentally go i think i can visualize that that sounds funny and then when you actually see it on the screen it's just got that thing that it's so satisfying to watch and it's in, that's in a, that's a, my favourite scene in a in a movie that has visually so much to take in and so much that's good. Like the the stuff with Beetlejuice in the miniature is all of that's great, you know. Um, yeah, my wife is often a barometer of how interesting something is. Not necessarily how good something is because mm. I I do query her movie choices on a regular basis. <laughs> but she she wasn't fussed with this film at all really mm. she used the phrase which still hurts now was it's very 80s isn't it and i was like yeah she's like i just don't think i like the 80s <laughs> to which there was a definite point where i was like who are you anyway yeah but that this dinner dinner uh, party scene mm. it's like it's almost that that thing of like it's like a kid putting down whatever toy they're playing with and they're just watching because they're just mesmerised by it. And that's kind of how she was like, she was on her phone and then this started and then for the whole scene, she's watching it, laughing and thinking, oh, this is pretty fun. Yeah. And I think that's really, really difficult to do (coughs) when somebody's already disengaged. Yeah, already checked out in a movie. So I think, again, that's that's a good testament to to that scene, which, again, I think a lot of people would kind of take for granted and would kind of think oh how hard can it be mm. but actually when you try and put all the parameters in place and get that yeah having seen difficult. that scene and you're like that's good i'm going to replicate that it's not going to work well, even my- if tim burton said i'm going to redo that scene in a different movie so it's not going to work uh, as, as, I mean? as we said you know lightning this is, in a bottle this has know? been made into a musical and so mm. i can i haven't seen it but for those who have i could imagine this is quite an integral part of that musical it's because got, it lends it's itself got to keep quite coming well. Coming up throughout the musical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, I think part of the problem that the musical may face is replicating that kind of 
the charm of it. The charm yeah. and the the spontaneousness of it because it does just kind of come out of nowhere. You're not expecting it, are you? Whereas yeah. in a musical, you're kind of expecting any, at any time... Someone's going to break into song. Break into right, song yeah. and break into to a dance piece. Yeah. So... I mean, it might be slightly problematic if in a musical they broke into it and had the white characters actually singing that song. It might be very different. Um, I could be wrong. I could be overthinking it. Um, I haven't seen the musical. I'm sure it's not uh, racist in any way. (laughs) (laughs) Going to have to cut this bit out now. I think we will. We get sued by the Beetlejuice. <laughs> Low red podcast gets sued by makers of Beetlejuice for calling it racist. <laughs> oh, we're definitely cutting. I'm just going to write this down. One forty-one. I think as well. One of the really again blink and you'll miss it. Not necessarily scene, but line. So when Beetlejuice crashes the car. Mm. And then ends up going to the, let's say, gentleman's club. Mm-hmm. And the line from Gina Davis to Adam is, why did you build why that? Why did you build that? It's just brilliant. It's like... I didn't! It's yeah. like out of nowhere, like, yeah. straight away. It's like yeah. the assumption. Why did you build that? Yeah. I didn't build that! I don't think I was going to write that down. I don't think I did. But yeah, it's proper stood out to Especially me. Especially like, considering all of line. the crazy things that's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The default reaction. Why did you build that? It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I think... I think, I think that as I say, one of the things that comes out of this a lot more and kind of moving on to the kind of impact of it mm. is that this is one of those kind of things where the world, as I said earlier, the world it creates is more interesting than the film itself. Mm. So it does lend itself to, as you say, there was a cartoon of yeah, it. Yeah, new interpretation. There's now a yeah. musical of it. There's going to be a, a sequel, apparently. <sighs> Uh, which <laughs> we will gloss over so that some it's, people it's, don't it's go a into a fit of rage. Sequel, yeah. No, I think we, we can discuss it. There's I don't, not I don't a know. great uh, deal of information out there about that. <laughs> this is the problem. This is the problem with IP, right? You know? Studios want to make money. I mean, we talk about this a lot as well, don't we? The, the, the main motivation is always money uh, rather than artistic endeavours. Um, if the two collide and work, it's, it's a beautiful thing, you know? Um, a sequel to this has been talked about since the film came out. So nearly whatever that is, 30 odd years, you know, um, 40 odd years, 35. Um, and it's never seemed like a good idea. And now they're like, we're finally going to do a sequel to that film. Remember that sequel you, you don't really want. We're going to do it. It's going to have, is it General Ortega? Uh, Wednesday Adams is in it. Yeah. I'm assuming playing the Lydia esque character. If it's a sequel rather than a remake, and it's going to have the problem, all those problems we're talking about with the CGI, it's, it's probably going to have those. I'm assuming Keaton's coming back. I think he'd do well to swerve it. But, I mean, I, I'm not, it's up to him, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't, is it? I, I, <laughs> Are you not making his, his uh, booking uh, decisions Yeah, but I wouldn't now. judge him for doing it. <laughs> If yeah. he want, I'd, I'd want to return to that character if he, if I was him. He has said it's his favourite film of his, so he, he, he might do well to leave it alone. Yeah, then, you know what I, mean? I think it's, it's it's the law of diminishing returns. Always, I yeah. think I think part of the problem they will have is obviously if you do a sequel or a remake, all mm. automatically you're going to be comparing yourself to to that. the original. Whereas yeah. what and I, the thirty to forty years 
of love that people yeah. have built up for that. Film. You know, the, the longer it goes, the more the nostalgia builds and the harder it is to capitalise on that expectation. But in terms of, as you say, in the IP, I think there's so much you could do with, with the IP mm. that you don't need to do... A direct sequel. A direct sequel. You could... I, I, I would yeah. ha- happily watch a film that explores... In the Beetlejuice world. world, yeah, you know, yeah. like let, let well, let's have a film based around like a character who works in that that office when mm. you die and gives out the tickets. Mm. Yeah. I see that. I I'd go and watch it that. Expand the world. Doesn't need yeah. to have Beetlejuice the character. It can have. But that's, it's other interesting because and... obviously, um, you know, when the Dread movie came out and all of the yeah, fans yeah. wanted a sequel, and they're like, it didn't make enough money. We're not we're not going to do it. And then uh, is it Rebellion who owns two thousand AD now? said well we might do a tv series um and everyone's like it's carl urban gonna come back he's like yeah. might, if you give me enough to do i'll come back and do it and they were like i think i don't know what's happened to it it was happening it's it was in pre-production covid i don't know what's going on i haven't looked into it recently i think where they were heading with it was well what we might do rather than doing a dread tv series is do a tv series around the world because the the world in two, of dread in 2018 mega city 4 is vast and it's been fleshed out for since the 70s and a tv series set in that world would be amazing if it was done right and if, and if I, I read something they were saying that may be what the stumbling block with carl urban coming back is he wants more to do possibly is what it, uh, thing I read online but I haven't heard much about it and, and so it's that same thing you're talking about where I'm like yeah expand the world you don't need to do a direct sequel remakes reboots all that I mean it's rife it's all that's happening these days most it's IP they already own they don't have to pay for it it's got a fan base built in people are going to watch it I mean you often talk about this deep down we know it's going to be bad we're still going to go watch it. If another Terminator movie came out, it's like, we're both going to go watch it and we're going to go hold our noses and watch it and just pray it's not terrible, you know? Or I mean, they're not... All, all of the Terminator sequels aren't terrible. They're just... They're all right. Some they're not Terminator, Terminator 2. Yeah, they're all right, yeah. <coughs> you know, it's that diminishing returns. It's not a bad movie. It's okay. Arnie's looking old, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I literally... I did make a list. I'm not going to read it all out, but I... Was, I, I Curiously, was thinking about the the Beetlejuice remake, and I started thinking about all the remakes that are uh, potentially in the works. So I made a quick list. I'll, look, I'll have a quick look through. We'll go through a couple of them because time is ticking on, isn't it? Um, the Lost Boys they want to remake. Meh. I think you might as well just. It will be. It. I personally think that's. You're probably looking at. Um, what's the sparkly vampire movie that everyone loves? Twilight. Twilight. You're gonna. It's going to veer that way. I don't think it needs to be done. I don't. I, I don't think there's enough there for it to be remade. Uh, it's it, not. Like, it did what it needed it to is do. A, it is yeah. an iconic vampire film, but it's not like this is where this, this trope starts. Yeah. This is. I wouldn't say because I watched Lost Boys recently. It's a great movie, isn't it? It's, it's great, but yeah. I'm sure we'll get round to it on air one what day. What would be the they? point of remaking it? Uh, well, this is take the, out this money. Is quite often, what we what talk are you about. Going to what is your artistic endeavour? Yeah, because w- apart from money, yeah, you might be able to create the same feel. Hmm. But if it you're going to remake exists. it, then we've already got that film. Hmm. We just watch that one as opposed to a remake, hmm. a sequel, or or a it's set in the same world, <laughs> fleshing out some of the characters yeah. and 
doing something different. Yeah, but it's you. But the thing is, you know, it's not going to happen, isn't it? Um, so we've got Drop Dead Fred. Russell Brown was tied to that at one point. I think he's now dropped out. Um, American. I've, I've written a, an American Wear Golf in London. <laughs> That's a movie I'd say. Uh, golfing Werewolves, Escape from New York, Commando, Highlander, Little Shop of Horrors, which itself was a remake. Weird Science. Weird Science. Some of these may have come out since I wrote this list down. The Crow. Did they remake The Crow? There's a, there's been a lot of sequels. Yeah, uh, Dirty Dancing. Uh, so, Time Bandits, American Psycho, Scarface, Gremlins Three is apparently in the works, um, and obviously that I, I they just made Evil Dead, the Evil Dead. I went to watch it. It's not a good movie. Visually, like candy. It's so nice to look at. It's storyline I couldn't give two cares about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And this is so often the case, isn't it? Like. Um, when they the, the problem is when they say so you hear the news Beetlejuice is getting a reboot or a sequel now in this day and age all you can do is think about all of those films they've already tried that with and how none of them seem to work you know yeah I, where I kind of sit on the remakes kind of I don't I don't mind a remake I think I think there are some films that sometimes do need to be made to, to appeal to a different audience so for example I think you know, there are films from the 50s and 60s mm. that I'd love to see remade because I think the way in which films were made in the 50s and 60s, if you don't like that type of filmmaking, you're not going to enjoy the film. Oh, the pacing is so different. Yeah. It's it's a completely different film. Like, so, I, love, I love Get Carter. I think that's 70s, to be fair. But, 70s, like, so yeah. say the Harry Palmer movies with Michael Caine, those yeah. spy thrillers. I, I love them. They're so, such good movies. But they're slow, and you have to... When you watch it, before you sit down to watch it, you go, I'm going to have to accept the film I'm watching is going to have a slower pace. It's going to be more... I think, I guess there was that sort of, we're aiming for gritty realism thing. So they did that, watch, he's making eggs. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. You've never seen James Bond fry an egg before, which is interesting as a concept, but 80 years later or whatever it is when you're watching it, you go, okay, it's a slower film. But I, I watch that. In that appreciation, so I say, if you don't like the way films are made in that era, you're not going to appreciate it. So it could, it's long enough ago, films are made so differently, it could lend itself to a Yeah, remake. and I, I think it's difficult. But how do you replace Michael Caine? Can't yeah, be done. I mean... Do you replace him with, with Jack Nicholson? <laughs> Who is the other people that always come up? Dustin Hoffman, Bob Hoskins, that's it. Damn it, I couldn't get the name, yeah. Do you replace uh, him with Bob Hoskins? Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, uh, the... The one thing I was so, for example, one one film that I love, but it's a terrible. I think it's a really bad movie, but I really like it. It's a film called Phantasm. That's from the eighties, right? Late seventies, I think. Okay. 70, Is that the one with the ball? Yeah, and 70, the, the spiky thing that comes out. Like, yeah. I saw it once when I was a kid. Yeah, it's it's a pretty bad movie. I think it's, I think it's well known as being bad, but. We it's, love it's it. It's cult so bad, horror. It's good. So I've yeah. got I've got the collection. There's like five of them. That's right. They're yeah. all terrible. Mm. I so badly want to see it remade because yeah. you could do so much with it. And mm. I think part of the problem with remakes is they always and it makes sense because you're trying to make money, but they always remake things that people love. And I think rather if, than things that should be remade. If you remake yeah. something with the purpose of when we release this, it it wasn't very good. It, for example, let's take Dread. Obviously, you had 
Stallone's I'm version. I'm about to get angry. No. <laughs> but yeah. you had Stallone's version, so remaking yeah. Dread. I, I actually have a soft spot for that as well, even though it is a terrible movie. Yeah. But I was a kid when so that came out. So remaking that, yeah. the reason why I think it's that, not only is, is the Carl Urban version you know the, a good film, yeah. but it also means that you're not you're not trying to fight with an expectation of, is it going to be point. as good as this film? Because the expectation is already pretty low. So I think I think remakes... That's a really good point. I, it's yeah. never going to happen, don't get me, don't get me yeah. wrong, because I have no sway in, in, the, in Hollywood. They might listen to uh, this, you never know. <laughs> If they are, hey, remake right. films that you had a missed opportunity on that yeah. were almost, almost yeah. good. Just short of the mark. Just short. Or, yeah, yeah. Thi- or films that... Didn't but, quite catch on, maybe. Yeah, like, that are yeah, kind yeah. of more cult films where there's a lot to explore and there's not high expectation mm. of... You know, if you're going to go back and you're going to... Re- oh, we're going to remake One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. Everybody loves that film. Yeah. Don't touch it because you're never going to get to that level. But if you remake... A film that virtually perhaps hardly any people have heard you of. You remake um, Manhunter into Silence of the Lamb or Red Dragon. It's just its actual direct sort of remake, isn't it? You Abs- go, oh, this is good. And then you go back and watch the thing they remade it from. You go, not, not so much. Yeah. That works, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. As I say, watch Manhunter for the first time the other day. <laughs> not, and I was like, you text me afterwards. <laughs> I was surprised at how close it was to Red Dragon. Yeah, crazy. But that, right? And, and the main dude, you're like, he looks familiar. And then you, re- you how did you know who it was going in? That's Gil Grissom from CSI. Yeah. Did you yeah. know it going in? Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew I that didn't, going like, in. I didn't put the two together for about... Because uh, I'd seen Manhunter before I'd yeah, seen yeah, CSI. Yeah. And then I saw Manhunter, like... I didn't even watch the whole thing. I saw it briefly again on TV. I was watching a bit of it. I said, that dude looks yeah. familiar. But as yeah. I say, with, with that... that and, skinny and young. Um, and World <laughs> Red Dragon isn't a remake of that. It's 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 the same story based on the books. It's not, not yeah. a traditional remake. Mm. It kind it works because Manhunter's an alright film, mm. but it's not never going to be a film people are going, oh, it's so good, have you seen this film? It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, but if you think... So you've had Manhunter comes out. It's, I think it's middlingly successful. I don't think it was a flop. It definitely wasn't a big hit, was it? Yeah, you yeah. Know? And then I'm going to say, what, five, six, seven years later, whatever it is, they go... I, we want to do something else with this. Let's not, like, to your point, let's not remake it. Let's make Silence of the Lambs. And it's a yeah. great movie. It's literally, to your point, it's like, expand the world. Don't just remake the film. You Luckily, know, they yeah. had a, a helping hand with, with the world is already there to be expanded yeah, upon because yeah. they got the novels. We've got this... Ca- yeah, exactly. And, I, and yeah. I think that's that's where remakes and reboots mm. re reboots are something quite different because often the reason why you're rebooting something is because you've you've got to a point where you've you've lost a good mm. section of your audience you know the x-men films but it's well i mean we're we're, we're <laughs> sitting here talking as uh in a world where indiana jones 5 exists now you know i don't need to see that film I, no offense to anyone i'm gonna watch it again like we always come back to i know i'm gonna go watch it in the cinema um, time willing I, I have zero good faith that I'm gonna I don't think I'll hate it I'm not like that I'll go mm, I'll see what you go for you know he's and, and I don't want to be oh he's too old but he's quite old <laughs> you know I don't want to I think you I think you got it right first time yeah. he's too old yeah. you know I think he's, he's in his 80s and I know they want to and I get it 
like I get they want to they want to wrap it up. It was wrapped up in three. It was wrapped up in Last Crusade, and they yeah. brought it back. And I, I saw that at the cinema, and I own it, and I watched it reasonably recently. Old Chris, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't think it's and it's, it's not as bad as I remember. It's it not being. as bad as I think the yeah, backlash I think, was at the time. Yeah, I think it was unfairly handled. But when they reboot stuff, so the Evil Dead reboot that I watched starts off first five minutes or so is. It's like well, that's they might, they might be onto to the reboot because the reboot was 2018, which I, is, I, think, I remember the the last one that came out. Um, I think it was as close to the original as, as you're going to get in a modern way, in, in the yeah, sense of was, the premise was, is essentially yeah, exactly I mean, the same. I don't know if this is a direct sequel to that remake. You might be right. I can't really remember what happened. I know I preferred that version of the mm. Evil Dead. But you get to the point where you're like, well, Evil Dead is is iconic for many reasons, you know. One of them is Bruce Campbell. Much like Indiana Jones, Bruce Campbell may have aged out of convincingly playing Ash. They explore this in the TV series to great effect. Wasn't a huge hit. So you're looking at this IP going, well, people don't want a reboot because they want Bruce Campbell. We gave them Bruce Campbell. They didn't really want that either. Um, and maybe that's the problem with the TV show rather than Bruce Campbell playing Ash. I don't know. You know, I thought it was pretty good the TV show as it goes. Um, so I went in. I went in with low expectations, hoping it was going to be good. The first sort of five minutes of it opens up, and like they, they might be onto something here. They then uh, they they change um, the setup, so it's in an abandoned, almost abandoned apartment block in the middle of a blackout sort of thing, um, and I'm like. I respect what you're doing here. I genuinely do. You're not just going to go uh, Evil Dead with women or Evil Dead in a in a house in an apartment block. They're trying to do something different. They're trying to make it make sense, and it's for the most part a good movie, visually stunning. There's just something off with it. It's just something. It doesn't quite land right. That I can't yeah. put my finger on, but it starts and ends, and it, it ties up really nicely, and it's ready for another sequel if you want one, and all of this stuff. And I applaud what they're going for because they tried. They were trying something else. It's played very straight. There are laughs in it, but it's played very straight. Um, I will. I will gladly rewatch it so I can reassess it because you even with low expectations you go in expecting something, don't you? You know, um, and it's hard. Like I'm a huge Evil Dead fan. I got the figures over there. You know what I mean, it's like, yeah. Um, Army of Darkness is a great movie. So it's, it, uh, remaking stuff is difficult to do well, and we've all been disappointed so many times. I also think as well when not so much with remakes, but with long, long a long period between one sequel and another, and they return back to it. Is I'm particularly looking at the Terminator franchise. Is they're not bold bold enough to, mm. to let go of what what was successful about the others? So. Schwarzenegger shouldn't have been in a Terminator film since... Since the second. You could just about get away with him being in Terminator 3. Yeah, but it's not good. I, it's not good. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good film. Yeah, yeah. You but mean, I, I conceptually, can understand, I can, you I, could get away with it. I can understand yeah, him yeah. being in there. Yeah. He doesn't need to be in another Terminator film ever. Mm. But people don't want to let that go. They want to, oh, well, we've, got, we've, got, we've got Arnie it's here. got to have Arnie. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah but... Arnie's too old now. Mm. He looks old. He he doesn't look like he looks killing great machine. for his age. But yeah, but that's not the first thing you <laughs> yeah, think yeah. about when you see a Terminator. 
Yeah. Looks great for his age. He's want, just been made what in a joint factory. Supplement these on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I, I often, so I had, had this concept, mm. uh, and it was before the Rock was kind of where he is now, mm. when he was just making his way of replacing that whole character and have somebody else play that T one thousand, or maybe not that model, but a different model, mm. and you don't even acknowledge. You don't acknowledge Arnold Schwarzenegger at all mm. because as soon you as you acknowledge it, it, it you? I yeah. think now you could do the very very similar thing with the actor who plays Reacher in the Prime series. Right, he's yeah, got the, yeah. he's got that right look of being a big dude, mm. and even in that, there's elements where he, the way he carries himself. <coughs> but somebody's got to be bold enough to say, "Yeah, you know all this money you're giving to a Terminator film. Yeah, we're not going to have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it." But that's the pulling power. Yeah, we're not going to have him in. But it. like we tried that, we had, we had um, salvation. But they didn't because re- they still had to have the CGI version on. Which I'll don't be get honest, me wrong, though, I thought it was a really great cool. moment in that film in it because like, you're not expecting it at that point. Yeah. You're like he's not in it. It's cool. And then 1980s uh, swatch because it's around the beginning of yeah, that yeah, face yeah. swap kind of technology thing going on. And that moment, I remember that. I viscerally remember that in the cinema, going like, <gasps> like a child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Amazing. But with amazing that moment. comes some problems in the mm. sense of now we're kind of, we're still expecting, however unlikely it is, to see a sort of snagger in that role. And I think some- That movie, though, Salvation, that was one of those. It probably wasn't the first time, because obviously this is pre-Star Wars um, Disney Star yeah, Wars. Yeah. I was going to say prequels, but the prequels, the pre, the pre um, Star Wars, Disney re- requisition of Star Wars in those movies. Jesus, that was harder to say than it should have been. <laughs> you were um, having a bit of a moment there, yeah, weren't you? Very tired. I was about to call the ambience. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's the first time it's like, I remember everyone saying, I, everyone has always said they wanted to see a Terminator movie set in the future. So here it is, and everyone, yeah, I don't like it. It's like I love that movie. I think it's a great movie. I don't know why it gets so panned. I haven't watched it again in a long time. Really loved it when it came out. I think Christian Bale's great in it. It's very dark. I think that's one of the things that people always throw. It's not funny. It's like, well, the first Terminator's not funny. The second one's funny-ish. The third one's hilarious, and it's terrible. You know what I mean? So, and it's that, that the inability... It was the first time I was aware of the inability to really make the fans happy because whatever you give them, they decide it's what they don't want. So when you talk about reboots... It's going on a bit long, isn't it? When you talk about reboots, um, I always think of the Aliens. Whenever they, It's not really a reboot. Whenever they came to do an Alien sequel, it's famous for the studio interference. And you hear about the, the, the version of Alien 3 that was floating about set on a ship and all of that stuff. So I was like, it's a good movie, I'd watch that. And she's like, no, we're not mate, it's too expensive. And then, you know, the interference, interference, interference. And the amount of times, like I keep saying, the amount of times you've just been disappointed by what ends up on the screen. Yeah. So, and, and, I, talk- and, I, and I think, just pulling it back to Beetlejuice, yeah. I'd be asking the question, okay, okay, you're going to do a sequel or you're going to return to the franchise in some facet in, in, a, in a film format. Mm. Who's it for? Yeah, who are you making audience? it for? Yeah. Because if you're making it for the people who like the original... They're not going to like it. Not, it <laughs> yeah. You may get a few of them, but the vast majority are going to say, oh, they didn't need to touch that. Mm. If you're trying to do it for a new audience, do something different with the same world. Because 
you, they've got nothing to compare it to. Mm. Especially when you think how little Beetlejuice is in that movie. It's like it's, it's like not, it's, it's not like the hard comedy to version of Hopkins in Science of the Lambs, isn't it? Like ten minutes, mm. if that total yeah. runtime. It, yeah, it's not hard to keep that world yeah. open without him. I'm not saying he doesn't have to be in it, but exactly, it's, I get your point. It's you like could, you it's could have notes to it. And you have to service the fans without them telling you you're pandering to them. It's a tightrope that no one can walk, you know what I mean? And in the age of the internet, even if you even if you get it dead right, millions of people can tell you got it dead wrong anyway, you know. So. Yeah, so, as I say, I always come back to the, you know, why, who's it for, what's the purpose of it? And obviously I, I understand to make money, but beyond that, what's the purpose of it? Mm. You know, what are you trying to achieve? Oh, we didn't think there was, we think there's more to this story and just let on, yeah, we left you know. we left too much unsaid. There's still, you know, like, there's still I, I remember to expand. Yeah. about five or six years after Inception came out, there was a very loose rumor that they were going to do Inception too. Mm. But it was going to naturally it was going to be without Christopher Nolan or, or any of the people involved mm. because, in their words, we've told that story. Mm. There's you could yeah you could you explore can the world, the same story, do yeah. it in it. You know, doesn't need a sequel. You know. Mm. Then I mean, where can you take that? The like that is going to be the classic, interesting. You know, straight to DVD release of Titanic Two. Was know. there a Titanic Two? I'm pretty sure there is. I don't know if it's. Does it sink again? <laughs> I don't know if it's actually a real movie, or, or is it just like a, it's a, a reference, famous? It's a famous like, fake yeah, movie yeah, 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 yeah. that is like mentioned in a movie or something. Yeah. But it's that whole. I mean, thing it wouldn't of, surprise me. I mean, the, obviously the famous ones, Gladiator <laughs> Two. Like, but he died at the end. Yeah. Nah, he's in heaven this time or something. It's like I forget what I forget what the plot for Gladiator Two was supposed to be, but it was ridiculous. And they seriously considered making it. It's it's it sometimes is is baffling and it's beyond yeah. you, you know. So I think I think long and short, what we're kind of saying is is that we're not totally opposed to a new film in the universe. Perhaps a direct sequel, maybe. Mm the wrong direction to go in i would I, I i would love them to get it right i can't tell them what getting it right is i can't say well what I, what, what you need to do is this i can't see how it can be done but that doesn't really mean anything that the fact that i can't see it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done and i hope that hope if they do it i hope it's great you know what i mean and i, and I, I, hope I think they pull it, it off. i think it is one of those ips where i think there's a quite a lot of uh goodwill you know, unfortunately, not to hark on at Star Wars fans, but I think the prequels mm. were doomed before they ever got there because I think, you know, it's quite notorious that Star Wars fans are quite set in their ways. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's funny, actually. Know, I was saying, like, the, the, the Dark Fate... No, not Dark Fate, sorry. Salvation was the first time I noticed fans being un impossible to please fans. Yeah. It's not true, is it? It was the prequels. Yeah. I, but I, I found the first one difficult to watch. Yeah, you know I mean it's not, but it's funny that they're now being reassessed and people are like, Do you know what? They're not that bad actually. It makes sense. It's just you saw Star Wars thirty years ago and you're old and bitter now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so and, yeah. and so I think luckily for Beetlejuice, there's quite a lot of goodwill. I think a lot of people would welcome it and be like, oh, there's a sequel to that, as opposed to what? Yeah. How dare they? And that yeah. kind of there will be that. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I'm somewhere in between the two where I, I just sort of think, ah, but it's because I've been burnt so many times before. Yeah. So good. I hope they pull it off. You know yeah. I mean? So. So I guess further further viewing would be the next bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think right at the top of my head, 
I'd say the two every a- Tim Burton movie ever. <laughs> I'd say the two Adams Family films. I think lend himself. I had closely. Adams Family. Nice. Yeah. You know, the this very, is like bingo now. Right? Very <laughs> similar in I've tone and kind of yeah, hundred percent dark kind of comedy. Mm. Uh, Feel I mean, Christina to, Ricci, to I believe, starred in Mermaids alongside Winona Ryder and oh. Sheer. And as we said earlier, Angelica Houston was apparently in line oh, yeah. to potentially play Delia. Yeah. Who and Christopher Lloyd, Morticia. who plays... Lurch. No, not uh, Lurch. Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, agreed. I had I got Adam's family And that too, is yeah. another uh, popular franchise that has been made into a musical. So, yes, yeah. yeah, and a cartoon or two. You know, but a cartoon is what started it. was like from the early, late it's a TV 50s, show, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a TV show, wasn't a cartoon, was it? No, was it cartoon it, first. It, yeah, it was a because the TV shows. It was a, the a famous thing, TV, right? uh, a uh, newspaper cartoon. From oh, like, like a comic strip. Yeah, sort of thing, comic right? strip from yeah, like yeah. the fifties or sixties. Because what was it? Oh, we watching? Yeah, but the TV shows from like the fifties, though, right? Yeah, we were yeah. watching Wednesday, which is obviously a modern interpretation of it. General take, and I was right? going. How long has this this IP this 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 world this? existed? Yeah. And I was surprised at how long it. For me, it started with the TV show. Or yeah, because the TV show that I'm aware <coughs> of is from the fifties, I think, like maybe six. But then you had the Monsters, which I always preferred. Yeah. Um, I have the box set of that as well. <laughs> I love the Monsters. Um, yeah, no. which has also been remade by Rob Zombie. Oh my god, it is, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Uh, Save yourself, don't go and watch it. I've seen a trailer, that's all you need to see. I'm going to watch that after we do this. I really wouldn't. I'm going to watch it. I think you're angry enough. I don't (laughs) think you need to watch (laughs) it. Bitter already. Yeah. Yeah, no, Addis Family's good, cool. Um, Batman's, I actually wrote Batman 2 rather than Batman 1, but either of the Tim Burton Batman's I think you'll find it's called Batman Returns. I think you'll find it's the Batman's. I like the Batmans. Have you got that Batmans? <laughs> All right, what's in that Batmans? Have you got the Batmans too? <laughs> you know, the one with the funny little fella in it. How many killings? <laughs> How many killings? <laughs> saying it, saying it. Um, sort of stealing other people's material now. Isn't it? <laughs> I think it's fair game. Um, yeah, basically, Tim Burton movies, Edward, um, explores similar themes very different movies but it's similar themes of innocence you know Edward is portrayed by Johnny Depp as a very sort of naive and idealistic kind of person and he just just want to make good movies and it's like brings everyone that childhood innocence throughout um funny enough I've got The Lost Boys written down here even though it's a very different movie it has a very similar sort of feel good effect on me so I might be slightly um, blinded by that um, Edward Scissorhands sorry I have a I can't say that movie can I say this on this podcast that you know Viz the comic we might have to cut this bit out but you know Viz the, Viz the comic it was like a comic book for adults in the I think it still goes like the 90s had like uh, it was inappropriate jokes kind of comic book strips i see where this is going and it had an advert in there when that movie i remember around my mate's house he had a copy of it and it was edward dildo fingers (laughs) 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 he's got an hand summer's party on the end of his wrists (laughs) and they they superimposed dildos onto johnny depp's hands and I, i cannot 
think of Edward Scissorhands without thinking of Edward Dildo Fingers. Yeah, I think we might have to Are cut we going to cut bit? this? <laughs> well, I'll do, we'll cut it out in a maybe. I'll stick it on at the end and see if anyone makes it that far. <laughs> um, also, I wrote down... <laughs> If you say Edward Dildo Hands. Greg, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> also, Tim Burton, Edward Dildo Fingers. <laughs> Tim, Tim Burton, Masterpiece, Edward Dildo Fingers. <laughs> I was just going to keep saying Edward Dildo Fingers. <laughs> Uh, this podcast has literally turned into two men just amusing themselves <laughs> fucking, for two and a half hours of nonsense we've forgotten about any listeners we may have <laughs> uh, right okay uh, I'm, not, I'm just going to leave Edward doing no fingers out I can't do it <laughs> I can't do it uh, also <clears throat> also uh Heathers, the film Winona Wider film Winona Wider Winona Wider film also a popular musical is it really it is yeah it's I've not seen it but the music's pretty good yeah music's pretty, pretty good, good. Um, I thought that was it's similar it's a bit more darker I've also written um, I was quite pleased with this one with the was The Witches of Eastwick yeah good links there that makes yeah, sense uh, another one similar just sort of movie hit upon for me a little bit more light hearted but Hocus Pocus I've never seen it, but cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's it's not bad. It's not again. Mm. That's one they've got and made in uh, not into a musical, but they've uh, recently remade. Is I've it? not seen the remake. Right, but. right. It's got um, what's her name? Is it Barbara Streisand? No. It? Uh, uh, what's her name? It's not Barbara Streisand. Wind beneath my wings, woman. Yeah. Huh. Not Barbara Streisand, no, though, is it's it? The other Bette Midler. Bette Midler. I was going to say oh. the other one. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she. The other one, if you say Barbara like, Streisand, is pretty accurate. Bette Midler. It's, yeah. yeah. Like, like, they're twinned in my mind. They're very show tunes, movie yeah. actresses, yeah, actors yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who did um, show tunes as well, yeah. Any other any other movies? I, I, I wrote down Gremlins as well, just because it's, it's it's a similar vein. It's subject matter is completely different, visually very different. But it, it did. It just popped in my head. I was like, yeah, it's Gremlins-esque, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know? all, all I could really think of was the Adams Family. That was the kind of fir- the first things that kind of popped mm. into my Probably head. Probably be closer with Gremlins 2 than Gremlins 1. Yeah. But I think we're reaching a bit. I think I peaked at uh, Witches of Eastwick and I should have stopped talking then. with for this week we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts you can find us in all the usual social media places as bury our bones with so please do come by say hi and send us your comments until next time i've been jimmy murphy he's been ryan everton and this has been bury our bones with beetlejuice
Then I was like, well, we were going to do it for Halloween, and then we decided to do something else for Halloween, but we already had it cute. I'd already bought the DVD. I suppose that's the answer. <laughs> I, d- I don't have an answer to that question. <laughs> why are we doing this movie? Um, why did I pick this movie? I thought it, I thought it was good.